Hey everyone, this is Peter, and welcome back to the Super Combo Podcast. As usual, I'm joined by our co-host, Chris of UniX. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing really well. I'm tired, but super fulfilled. About to hit the hat trick for the day, uploading three videos, one per channel that I currently manage, but I am here tonight to not only be the resident best U7 Gohan player on the planet, <laughs> but to also co-host with George and deliver you guys, hopefully, your favorite podcast per week. <laughs> I feel like you're not going to drop that one until you get recognition <laughs> or some sort of opposition on it. <laughs> I, I, I got the recognition. I'm, I am looking for the smoke, though. <laughs> but yeah, so a um, lot of interesting topics today. A lot of last minute inclusions, actually, in terms of things that we want to talk about today. So we have uh, the regionals that have been uh, fully announced properly. We talked last week about how they kind of got uh, sneak peeked. Uh, by Core's event information on Facebook. And now they've officially announced them. They've announced the prizing, everything that goes along with that, uh, as well as the championship promos, which I think have been on everyone's mind as exciting new reveals to see how it will shake up uh, the game moving forward. And then we've got some, some new set info. So actually, this is kind of the news that kind of came in last second today over the past couple of hours. New information has dropped on distribution websites talking about the new set past Realm of the Gods, as well as starter decks that will be coming alongside those which is very exciting. So with that said, we'll just go ahead and jump right into the first topic, which are the regional announcement themselves and regionals are back. They did say that this year we'll have a mix of online and offline events, which I think everyone expected. I think the hybrid system um, was always going to end up landing to be where they would finalize on it. But uh, we are starting off with just webcam events at the moment, currently uh, with a Carta Magica event. On Saturday, March 12th, uh, the, that same Sunday on March 13th is the Core TCG one. And then Latin America has one as well as Europe, which is Card Market again, which I, I, I do think is a little bit significant considering all the controversy that Card Market has been over the past year. Um, <laughs> I mean, you just, you, just got, you, just, you just got to say how it is, right? Like, I, I honestly was not sure if we were going to see their name again in hosting a regional after, like, everything. But I'm also not surprised that they're here just because of, like, how big they are so you know um, like kinda, they're like the focal point of like they're like the choke point the kingpin of like european card gaming for especially for this game we don't really have any like european outs with them but it is wild because like you know like one half of them is a tcg market the other half of them is a school for magicians it's just kind of crazy and uh but i mean you know what everybody <laughs> most people deserve a second chance so i'm hoping they don't uh they don't waste it or kind of dive back into the same things i would this it's crazy i'm pretty sure normally when bandai cuts you off they just kind of cut you off so this is like yeah it's insane they could have <laughs> yeah like i i've been i've seen people get sent to the shadow realms when like it didn't pan out with them with bandai so oh, oh, oh you know i'm glad for the second opportunity and here's to hoping that everything uh runs out more smoothly for europe uh you guys are listening if you guys are listening to the podcast, 3X, don't get 3XG. Like, use your second <laughs> life wisely. Card market, you've given it a new lease. Do not waste it. Absolutely. Um, and then talking about the rest of Europe, of course, Italy and France kind of have their own thing going on. So them and Oceania still have announcements to be made in regards to what they're doing there. So uh, presumably very soon, uh, they'll be heard back. So uh, before we actually end up uh, jumping into the champ stuff. Um, I, I know there's a notable topic in regards to the dates that these tournaments are set. Uh, the big thing being that these are before DBS Fest. And 
Uh, I know Chris has a, a little bit of heat in him for the fact that these tournaments are actually just regular best of three. They are not best of one pre-sided. You know, why don't you tell the viewers why you feel that way? <laughs> um, so I will tell you right now, uh, me playing in any online regional was not because I actually wanted to play personally. It was because I uh, had a weekend off. I uh, definitely wanted to get my invite at some point and uh zamas the eliminator was popping popping so that was literally the only reason why i ever played in online regionals because for me as much as i like the best as much as i like uh, i don't mind playing on webcam sometimes you just gotta figure out how the game's evolving especially with all the circumstances in the world but best of one just opens you up for so many weird positions and you guys have seen them like you go into cell surge of best of one and it's like did you not main to boris screw you you play against any other deck in best of one and you're maining the boras and again screw you uh you get clapped by super sand 2 like gohan aggro like there's so many weird variants related like stuff that can happen majin vegeta is like not seen in best of three but is is god tier in best of one for so a while good so good it's just it's wild and i just kind of feel like when they announced that we're going to be doing pre-side best of one I'm like, okay, well, I still don't like best of one because best of three is literally there to try to eliminate some of the variants that is known to happen in card games. At least with pre-side best of ones, I will I will consider that being the most optimal form of playing online. Uh, I definitely think that in-person should always still be best of three. But yeah, it, it just is what it is. Um, so to see these be original best of one, uh, George brought up some good points before we started talking on here. And uh, I'll let him kind of just go into those because he definitely checks me and my unbridled rage for this format. But um, <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not really with it. Like, I don't currently have any of those weekends off. And I was going to try to rearrange my schedule to work on that because uh, I do want to get some of these cards and participate. And uh, Goku Jiren Matt sounds hot fire. So uh, even as I said that, I probably will still try to scramble if possible. But um, yeah, real talk, I just don't like the ability to or i don't really like the frame of going into a tournament on this best of one without presiding you're still going to run into some weird things and even worse we are at the beginning of a new format we are at the set uh, we are days after the set releases actually in one of the tournaments we are the day after a set officially releases and what that means is you're in a best of one format and while you may have been testing some of these decks it, it's not again you're at the beginning of a format you may see somebody who's coming with a little harder than you expected you may see a variant of a deck that you didn't even know had a solid base point to vary away from like you're about to go into a format like with less visibility than you could possibly ever have in best of one and that just sounds like a very bad time that sounds like you could practice you could play you could be sharp and then just get caught off guard by some stuff you never saw coming like what what happens when you're testing against you know uh trunks gogeta zeno um, yellow trunks gogeta zeno goku and then randomly you just face the dream like the the best of one champion who has somehow cracked the code for green champa and you just get floored like it was not anything you could have seen coming and you don't even get a chance to run it back like that dude puts up champa and you're like um excuse me is this a meme and he goes it will be when you put five cards underneath my field excuse me and then you just die and there's there's no adjustment you can make there's no nothing you're just like huh all right, then. And then you have this dude fail to first place off of green, blue Champa with no reckoning because it's best of one at the beginning of a format. And nobody can practice for that. Like, yeah, that's I don't like. 
I'm ranting now. I'm just going to let George take it away. <laughs> I mean, it's very fair points, right? And I think, so I, I think there's little they can do about it in terms of like not implementing BS1% because it's kind of a mix of they need to get organized play started because it's already going to be mid-March by the time the shit launches. And like that's three months into the year that like almost three full months going into, into the year where OP wouldn't have been a thing. And like they had to get OP kicked off somehow. So, and then when, when and then, like, yes, I think unanimously the community has agreed that best of one preside is the best way to go in the future for any best of one tournaments, especially for online. But um, I think Bandai is very apprehensive about implementing that kind of thing for their official organized play tournaments before actually getting the opportunity to run a wide scale tournament. Well, I mean, technically, this would be like just in North America alone, it would be three, um, one online and then two IRLs to actually get a feel for it and see, like, you know, if the how the player base really feels about it, having actually played it. I think it'd be a little tough for them to implement that on an official standing. Um, if it was directly with OP and we know the community likes to whine and if the changes were made without being able to test it out, it, it's, I could see them thinking it was a toss-up on their end. So it's probably just to play it safe and slower when it comes to like, okay, well, we'll test it out. And yes, we've got some other events, but until we find out how we actually feel our players play and feel and what the results look like for a best of one preside tournament, we probably won't end up, you know, changing it. But I will say, actually, and I, I will go back into the topic about best of one uh, webcam turn, like hard best of one webcam tournaments afterwards. But it kind of sets up an interesting situation now where actually they get a lot of data. And like companies like these do need some hard data points to be able to make sweeping decisions about things like organized play. So here, here we have a great setup where you actually have two regionals let's just talk North America because I remember those numbers specifically, but like, of course, there's others happening in the region, but if we're looking at North America only, we have two proper best of one regionals happening. And then the week after, we have um, we have the best of one pre-side tournament. So that actually gives them a phenomenal data point to be able to compare tournaments and look at things like uh, tournament, uh, length of tournament, uh, how many, well, there's no more draws, but you know, how many games would have went to draws um, and look at the data points of like the top decks, especially going into no format. So I think, I think in terms of data, while it does suck that obviously these tournaments aren't going to be best of one preset when we're talking about the regionals, the fact that it gives them that fantastic data point to be able to actually come with the best conclusion, which I think in general, we kind of all agree is probably best of one preset anyways. But I do like that they're probably going down the data driven point instead. And at least they'll have two very good tournaments back to back, same format um a week apart so the meta doesn't shift too incredibly much in between that time to really pipe down and decide like okay you know what's how do we want to take organized play after march and then i think that at that point it'll be really exciting to see where they take it and you see people who are listening this is why this is exactly why you always need more than one viewpoint because like low key slash high key george actually just brought up some massively good counterpoints that Kind of have me piping down. I'm still annoyed, but I'm still, I'm definitely piping down a bit. It is very, 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 very neat that they're going to be able to have almost back-to-back tournaments that test both formats and can get, you know, just some data from both. That's actually really, really OP. Yeah. All right. You got it. You got it. Let's talk and play it for now. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but your, your points are valid, but I think, so like, so now to take back into best of one as a whole, I think the reason why best of one has the frustrations it's kind of like and this is coming from someone who's you know played and had good success in best of three before covid and then has had success in best of one in the webcam world that we lived in for over a year 
um, you kind of have to look at the game differently, right? I, I, and I think, I, I think what a lot of players and especially competitive players had a bit of a tougher time grasping when it comes to webcam games is that they they kind of look at it as the same game of Dragon Ball. You know, it's it's and then obviously when you're comparing everything that should be one thing, you want to play the best version of that thing, and that's obviously best of three because it minimizes variance, it ups uh, competitiveness, and everything. Uh, but the the way that I've opted to look into hard best of ones is that you kind of just have to look at it like it's its own format, its own game. So they use the same rules, they use the same card pool 99.9% of the time. Um, but you just have to understand that the, your expectations for what gameplay looks like and for what decks look like going into either or are completely different. Because like you said, in best of one, uh, Majin Vegeta is a demon, bro. I, I hated seeing that deck more than Reboot Gohan. You know, like that that's how bad I hated Majin Vegeta because that deck is absolutely nuts, especially in best of one. So but that's an expectation, right? And you just you just kind of have to accept that best of one Dragon Ball is a world where decks like Majin Vegeta thrive, where a deck like Rank Gogeta can like take down a tournament, you know, like um or, or close to it. I didn't get that part, but <laughs> you know, so it's when you start to look at the game as basically two different versions of the game it's a little bit easier to accept best of one webcams um but that does not take away the fact that yes it is incredibly frustrating that you go up against a no-win matchup and like odds are you just lose right like it's one regional i went up against four reboot gohans when i was playing invoker now it's a miracle i beat every single one of them so like i don't know how the hell but like that was an amazing tournament for me and i think i actually ended up placing in that tournament as well so like fantastic but like not you know eight times out of ten that should not happen i should just like lose that matchup you know so it's um there's a lot of variance and it's super tilting and like seeing like your like a no win matchup from a non-meta deck is 100 percent incredibly infuriating but if webcam best of one tournaments is something that you want to jump into i think it just takes that perspective shift of they're two different versions of the same game and then you can kind of like set your expectations that way but of course once it becomes best of one preset, because there actually is no doubt in my mind that the community will love best of one preset so much, they actually switch to presided for organized play. Then that mitigates a lot of that. You're still going to have that. And I will say there is actually a part of me that's a little bit sad to see best of one go because there are times when I play in tournaments that I play those janky decks, right? Like anyone who's listening right now and has watched me stream knows that I love playing red, yellow, baby. And that deck is, like, bad, even in best of ones. <laughs> but there are some situations where you can score, like, a decent win because, like, the deck just high rolls on turn three sometimes. And, like, it's, if your deck can't deal with that, then tough. Uh, in best of one preside, I think that, you know, it's one of those things where those kinds of decks goes down dramatically in playability. And that kind of sucks because while, yes, it is not peak competitiveness, it does add a little fun to, comp- uh, to events to be able to kind of meme it out like that. But at the same time, I mean... There'll be new meme decks that just end up working out better in best of one preside anyways. Now, now those will take its place. But so it, it's a give and take. And I think it's just all about perspective and how you see it. Um, and just kind of considering both different games and then going from that. But I, again, like I said, I don't think this is an issue that will really push much longer because I would be shocked if going into April, the new regionals they announced would not be best of one preside. Huh. So it's, it, it's all about perspective, really. Truth, truth, truth. So ah, the voice of tolerance. <laughs> once, <laughs> once, once in a while, once in a while. 
Um, so we do also have the breakdown of what these tournaments will have. Uh, they have participation rewards, um, which actually are worse than last year. So th that's one thing I will say. These tournaments are more expensive than last year's. Fine. I mean, I don't think anyone's shocked that shit's more expensive in 2022. Um, but we do get less, which is a little bit sad. Um, you for participating, you still get five champ promos, so that's awesome. You technically still get one of each single one if the box can get randomized. Uh, you get three event packs, but you don't get a playmat for just playing anymore. Um, those that's are reserved true. just for top six. Yeah, you no longer get a playmat just for participating, which does kind of suck. Um, not that, like, I mean, I have too many playmats, don't get me wrong, but, like, it was still kind of nice to get. Um, and that's it. For tournament pricing, that's all you get. So, a, a downgrade there. And I will say, actually, a, do a downgrade in top pricing, too. So, top 32, you get um, a one of Altart Vegeta card. Presumably, this is the leader Vegeta. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I presumably this is the Crimson Warrior, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I wanna, I wanna say so too, because it'd be. They also, they're also gonna hit another card. You're, you're gonna say soon that when it makes sense, if it was the one that we would probably think would be better, it is like double printed. Like I don't know. That'd be weird. Yeah. Um. And then for top sixteen, this is when you get the playmat. I will say the choice, bro. If this, so. The, the six, top 16 playmat is Son Goku for Zajir. If this is the SPR art, bro, I'm so ready. Like, I will try hard for one of those mats. <laughs> we, will, we will top, and then when it looks like you're about to go X1 or XO, <laughs> you'll be like, you can have the one, bro. Wait, what? Yeah, you can have the one, bro. I'm trying to get that Jiren mat. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can trade down. Maybe somebody will be willing to trade down. I don't know how I feel. Like, if I... I, I do like the winner's mat. Like, even though I have no love for the oh, like for the Shadow Dragons. In fact, like, if you ever hear me talk about GT, I firmly stand that it stands for Garbo Trash and have these dudes on this mat's fodder. But it says winner, and I want it for getting first place at a regional. So it's never going to go anywhere. So I'm actually really afraid. Like, what if I have a really good run, and at the last moment, uh, like, I have a game, and I just, like, stutter because I want that Jiren Goku mat. You get both. I think. Never mind. We're going <laughs> A okay. You see me at the table and you think I have game. I have game. Scoop up your cards. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. Y'all better hope I don't get this weekend off. Yeah, the last time I won a tournament, I'm fairly certain I got both. <laughs> um and then you get a top sixteen alt art card of Great Priest. Again, I don't leader maybe otherwise it would be unison i guess i don't know um I mean, would be weird too because they just announced that they're doing a reprint for the fest right the yeah so oil. it's just like i don't know <laughs> so it's presumably these are the leader cards i guess um and then you get a finals invite so finals invite our top 16 i think they're i mean it doesn't matter at the moment because no one's got their um nets invites besides i think tops from nats exclusively but um, I don't think those will be trickled down either. They kind of got rid of that last year. Uh, moving into top four, there's a top four alt art for or alt card for Sin Shenron. Again, presumably leader. Uh, otherwise, there's like a dozen Sin Shenron leader Sin Shenrons it could be. So I'm not about to start naming them off. Actually, to be fair, I will say the one card that I'd be okay with it not being the leader is the nine drop. The fact that the nine drop is just a rare and TBH his art is actually kind of mid blows my mind. That's like one of the most valuable rares in the game, easy in terms of like playability. Quick question for you. Do you think it's possible that could be Xenosin as a leader? I don't think so. I feel like they would have put Xenosin if that was the case. They're they're pretty explicit when it comes to that. All right, that's fair. It just seems weird because like what, there's a Vegeta leader or Vegeta card? It's alt art. 
Yeah, I don't. It, it could be anything, right? <laughs> it could be anything. And if it was sin, it's like, how do they pick just one sin? But if it's the sin leader, why would they reprint the same leader? They just like, I don't know, man. I mean, just just in general, why sin? We haven't had a yellow sin in like, what, th- three sets? <laughs> <laughs> because somebody in Bandai is fully aware that sin just sits in the corner stroking its long dragon schlong waiting for other decks like to go around like i i like i just don't want to tangent too hard but y'all need to stop sleeping on foo foo like got stabbed by bandai and his last <laughs> dying breath he was like now <clears throat> you will know the horrors that lie beyond turn six i just passed away like you guys don't understand foo is the boogeyman but he was also like the watcher on the wall. Like he protected us from the darker nightmares that lay late, late game. And now you're going to figure it out. Like yeah. now you're going to know what happens when the game goes too long. You don't have a turn off button. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, just uh, this weekend, we had the top 16 for the stage of circuit and a third of the field was in Shenron. So it was a, uh, it wasn't food. <laughs> It was not Foo that was shrouded in mystery. It was the late game that was shrouded in mystery. <laughs> Foo was just keeping it shrouded. Like, y'all about to find out. Yeah. Um, and then you get a booster box of a recent set, which like, okay, that's that's cool, I guess. I mean, man. <laughs> if that ain't Realm of the Gods, do you know how mad I'm going to be? Uh, a, it I, there's no way it's not. If I top a tournament, they create me a box of mythic booster. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd pay the postage to send no, it has to be rumbly guys there's no way it isn't <laughs> but like but don't but, say that <laughs> i will be in our comments a month and a half from now <laughs> but we are actually downgrading pricing here as well so this is where the um downgrade in pricing is because last season or last year if you made top four you got a playset of um winter alts so like I remember, oh so when I thought, yeah, so when I talked with Vegeta, I got a playset of the dormant Android sixteen, and I forget what the last winner one is. But so like instead of now getting effectively twelve cards, you are getting one, which is a big difference because a lot of the money in topping these tournaments are these promos. That's actually sickening. Like when I won Gen Con. It was the fact that I got like what four sets of these winter stamp cards, the Bergamo, the King Piccolo, and the Beyond All Limits. That crap paid for my Gen Con and more. Yep. Like it paid for my entire trip and more. And if it was only one playset, it wouldn't have been nearly that much. Yeah. Now the other side of the coin is that because you're only getting one of these cards, they'll be more valuable, so they'll be worth more. But is that gonna offset getting like an entire playset? I don't know. But I mean, uh, arguably these are characters, so like people pay more for leader cards. So like I don't, I, it, it's weird. It's it's fine, but I will say like, especially given that I think the um, championship packs only have one valuable card in it, and that card's gonna lose value incredibly quickly because of how small the invoker player base is. Um, I do think you're going to see negative return on investments the more regionals you participate in That's unless you're doing it for the sake of competition um so to round it out the champion gets a champion play mat which is a realm of the gods key visual which that's cool uh, i'll take the key visual for realm of the gods it's, it's nice art and then um you get a one of championship pack 2020 volume one winner gold stamp set so you do get a set of gold one winners for at least winning which is nice so at least you still get that um, okay, so you, you will get four copies of a card? 
you will get four copies of a card for winning. Yeah. Or, okay. or I mean, depends, right? Like, presumably one championship pack 22 volume one winner gold stamp set i don't know what that is i don't know if it's like i think it's one of each it, one of each yeah so like i think i remember in vegas it was like a death beam i think um the invoker death beam was like one of their alt arts kind of like and maybe it's one of those where you only get one of those or something like that or you get a place out of it i don't know nasty um but i mean nothing's been no images no nothing's been you know for for those winners have been announced yet so um so that's it for pricing. And then, so that is a bit of a downgrade, but we'll have to see, you know, I mean, the fact that they're later cards means they'll probably move decently. So who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not too bad. But generally, one of the big reasons people participate in these events at all is because of the championship packs. And you, these usually hard carry um, these events, you know, uh, if they're good, like Zamasu or Robotic Repost, like just by having, pulling one of those, and then keeping everything else that comes with participating in the tournament, and that's not even counting for if you place, you paid your entire tournament. So big value there. This time around, we have five of them. I'd argue only one of them is really valuable, so we'll go over them. Uh, the first one being uh, the MVP of the set. Um, Android 17, most valuable player, is a two-cost battle card, two-specified red, zero five, uh, 0.5k combo. And 10k power, activate main, sparking 5 for 1 red. If your leader card is a red universe 7 card and you send this card from your drop area to the warp, your leader card gains invoker until the end of your next turn. This card is good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, as per usual, whenever I make a Monday video, I mean, I'm not going to act like it's coincidence. It's probably because like news is news. If news happens to come out on over the weekend or on Monday, I'm going to make a video for it. And then we're going to talk about it because it's just the most relevant thing. If you are banking on Invoker being the absolute most broken deck of all time after this, you could be right. But um, I am just going to put a little nugget out there. And uh, I break down so much about this card. Shameless plug once again. Just go visit my channel, UniXDDS. It got the freaking video up as of today. This effect, no shot. No shot whatsoever. This effect wasn't crafted with their previous rule change not in mind. And I think that's going to 100% lead to an, a, uh, an errata coming could, up sooner yeah. than later. I, I, I watched your video. I saw you claim that. And I think you're high AF for that take. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure. I, I personally just feel like when they made this effect, they were fully going off of the fact they intended for end of their next turn to be the end of the current turn i don't think they fully intended for you to have just invoker for your turn and your opponent's turn if it's just your turn this effect is good but it's not snapped if it's both turns this effect is absolutely snapped and there's just a breakdown but yeah i don't know you said you thought i was high af for this take yeah a hundred percent like <laughs> like yeah don't get me wrong i think the ability is insane um, the, the card does a lot. First, it's a 5k combo and a deck that has no combos. So that helps a lot. Because a lot of ways that people get around beating invokers by swinging for 15k on his unawakened side. So then he can't, he has to take the damage. This is a 5k combo you want in your drop anyways. So it goes exactly with that playstyle. And then secondly, it gives invoker for your current turn, your opponent's next turn. Oh, and your next turn again. Which means that you can go ahead and use a bunch of proactive cards on your turn once again before you lose invoker if you don't have another android 17 to get it off again so don't get me wrong i think the card's absolutely insane 
But I do honestly think that if they had that ruling in mind, they would have just said until the end of the turn. They, they've never used until the end of your next turn for the active player. Up until... So, so like... Hear me out. Yeah, hear me go out. for it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. How long ago was this card made? We don't know. We don't know when their R&D cooked up this little boy. Promos, I think, are on a different schedule. I don't think promos are fully, like, the five months behind that some of these sets are. But I do think there's a certain amount of lead time before these promos are made. And if this promo was made a little bit back, it would have been one of the cards affected by this rule change. And I just kind of, like, it it just seems so weird. It goes between being, as sad as it is, if it fit under just your turn, this card, I'm not going to immediately call it mid, but it's closer to mid than great. Yeah. So this card is like, eh, or snapped in half. There's no in between. And um, it it puts us in a weird position simply because if this card doesn't get, if this card stays as is, Invoker goes from not played, not even a rogue, to easily one of the best decks, if not, I feel like, the best deck in the format. Because that's one of the things I was trying to go over in my video. All the cards that Invoker was playing are still gas right now. Like, they actually, some of them work even better. Like, when the deck was out, using uh, using freaking uh, Tyranny's Cost, it, it was like, cool, you drew your two. But, like, nowadays, a lot of decks are actually going to straight up lose five cards to Tyranny's Cost. Like, <laughs> just bro, straight up bro, minus five. Bro, who ain't in the format, dog? Invoker's feasting, bro. Like, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting. Like, there, and then the turns that you were going to try to break through, the normal turns that you would break through uh, Invoker, are now just going to be way harder because they have their stuff up. Now, granted, granted, this is still a game where we have life and we still have to draw. There's a world where your opponent will be like, I am the champion, and not see Android 17 on turn two and still still get punched in the face, still have to fight for their life once their stuff gets online. But chances are, with four Android 17s, and then, you know, still having your two, maybe three copies of Vegeta, because he still is a charge. You can't, like, forget that he still is a charge. And at some point, when you're at six energy, you may not mind landing a Vegeta, just so that if there's ever a turn where, you know, your opponent has, like, absolute game on board, you can just remove a 17 and know you're going to be good regardless. Like, there's so many things that it adds on to the deck. I'm just saying that this effect, I, I would not be surprised if this is just like a, oops, uh, yeah, if we realized we were rolling back this, this would have had the same text. It's just, it just seems way too strong. Like, I have never seen a deck get support this strong so far after the fact in the history of this game. Like, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain right now. I cannot, for the life of me, think of a single case. They recognize how wrong they did us with that catastrophic blow, or rather, and now they're doing oh. right. Now they're doing oh, you this mean, right. <laughs> so you're talking about one of the one of the only ways in the game you could completely uninteractive uninteractive. Oh, okay, don't 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 give me this uninteractive shit. The three drop has no protection, absolute zero. You can counterplay it. You can counterplay the six drop that comes in. You can kill Invoker before turn five. Like and and there were two players in the entire competitive season that were consistently topping with the deck. That sounds like there were two players in the entire competitive season that were consistently using the deck. I mean, you might not, you might not be wrong there. 
my usage of the deck was like once every month, give or take. So like they definitely played it more than I did for events. <laughs> my, 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 I'm just kind of like, not every color is, is the same. Like yellow's counterplays will likely just tap it. Red's counterplays, yeah, 15, you remove a 15, that can work. Blue will bounce it back to hand, which is sometimes not a factor. Um, it, green and green and red have the best chances of taking care of it. Uh, Law at black. But like my main thing is that like most decks, no matter what you're doing at, your opponent still has a chance to put a counterattack out. Even if it does get cooler swift retaliation, which should be on the ban list band, I please listen to me. But um most decks still have a chance to at least try to put up some interference. If they get, if Invoker gets to the point where that dude was on board, it was just game, and there was like dead ass nothing. Like, like you could have a hand of eighty thousand combo power, and then like five negates. But if they landed that specific setup, you were just like, well, my life don't matter, my hand don't matter, my brainstem don't matter. All right, I guess it's over, and that just kind of. I don't know what just happened there. That was literally, I was sitting at my desk doing absolutely nothing and I had to like unplug my mic and replug it back in. Cause I looked at all my settings and it was attached. Discord was going through it. It's my default mic. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> all right. Well, the joys of technology. Yeah. That's like kind of wonderful. Um, <laughs> what'd you last hear? So you were at a point where you said, my cards don't matter. My shit don't matter. Okay. <laughs> um, I was just about to say that for me, it's not, it's not that a uh, cat blow existed, and it's not that Apex existed. It's that they both existed in the same deck, and on top of that, they're both completely different win cons that you need to gear up for in two completely different ways. Um, and this, this is what I just didn't like about Invoker. If you didn't want to get cat blowed, you you bum rush them. But when you start turning all your stuff sideways against the deck that can't kill you through like battle easily, oh wait, they drop Apex on you and victory strike your ass when you're tapped out because you were trying to kill them before they could fully cat blow you. Or you sit here trying to keep your life super high off cat blow, because that's another thing you could try to do, even though that if they high roll, they're still taking it all. And victory strike can still just get through and clap you. Like it's just kind of weird to me that you can Playing out of one of their win cons puts you directly in the crosshairs for their other win con. And there hasn't really been a deck that exists like that. And so when you say they did Invoker unfairly, I'm like, Invoker was Invoker was like an abomination. That was like uh like Doomsday. <laughs> Invoker was Doomsday quirk theory. Like when a deck can do too much, is it a liability to the lives around it? And the answer is kind of like yes. <laughs> like the deck was just it was really, really strong. Yeah. Like maybe I'm oh, sorry. No, I agree. Yeah, I was just going to... You, you can go ahead and continue your tangent. <laughs> oh, I was just like... that. Maybe like, oh, you're playing against Gogeta's Neno. It's just like, Gogeta's Neno, how do you stop yourself against aggro? Be defensive. But then Gogeta's Neno has a boss card that says if your opponent's at six or more life and you have four energy, just blowing the hell out. It's like, hey, yo, wait. <laughs> wait a minute. What am I supposed to do here? Stay below... For life, yeah, generally against my aggro deck. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's. I don't know that, about that one, Chief. <laughs> that, yeah, like I, I, I jest because a lot of people know I have a lot of attachment to Invoker, but a hundred percent, the thing that made the deck incredibly strong is exactly what you pointed out: is the fact that you playing smart against one win con 
made you susceptible to the other wind con in like a, in a very real fashion. Especially since odds are, if you were playing more aggressively, you were taking more life. And if you were taking more life, you'd have more chance to draw into negates, which is your one way. Because effectively, to beat Invoker, you'd have to have two. You'd have to have two things. So either you'd have to have a three negates at least to beat uh-huh. the Awakened Power, <laughs> um, or you need to tech in a drop negate. So like this, when they pitch it from drop, you can still negate the Awakened Power swing. That's how you get around Awakened Power. That doesn't change the fact that they can. Like I've six life people before. You know, like, <laughs> so, like, yeah. I hope you didn't take two swings early in the game, because if not, well, GG's, you know? So, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the deck is stupid, incredibly strong. It had an incredible long run. Um, so I was not expecting Invoker support. I didn't, I didn't think this was Invoker support. Now, so, like, that's the thing with me for this card. I do think the card is incredibly strong. But these are the type of cards that get me excited to play Invoker. Because for me, the things that excite me to play Invoker are new things I get to do with the deck. So for me, it's whenever I see a blue-red extra card. That excites me for Invoker because it's like, oh, is there like a new way that we get to play Invoker? But this just makes Invoker good again. Um, And I misread it initially, and I thought it ended at the end of your opponent's turn. But the fact that with just one Android 17, I can counterplay everything my opponent does, play... You know, one to two Sleepy Boy techniques, so draw an additional four cards, counterplay his best card, go back to my turn, Tyranny's cost, make my opponent neg cards, draw an additional two cards, pass to my opponent's turn, or set up another. Like, that, that's actually insane. So I, this card is actually broken, is incredibly good, but, which is good, because you want the championship pack to have value. And that, that's the biggest thing. Unfortunately, I think this is the only card that's going to have value in this set, past maybe the first regional. And then secondarily, it's not a card that's going to stay valuable long because there are a handful of Invoker players. Currently, if you would like to start playing Invoker, it is at minimum a $1,000 deck because the SCR right off the bat is like $800. I'm going to back it up just a slight bit. You don't, if you have an Apex, you want to use the Apex. If you got the cash to splurge on Apex, you, oh, can you don't have to. However, the new SCR does not do what Apex does, but it still offers a, an interesting avenue Agreed. of win con. One, because like maybe you won't be getting the triple strike off. I wouldn't ever swing with that thing against most decks. There's just you just open yourself up to too much uh, pounding. But um you got Catblizz in. So this is just one more way of damaging your opponent without them being able to interact. <laughs> that's that's a real thing. That is a real thing. You can start cat blowing your opponent and then just be like, how much energy I got? Cool, tap four, last life. Um, if I'm not mistaken, if you have energy explosion on the field, if I am not mistaken, that interaction still flies. Yes. So potentially, as cool as it kind of sounds, Ultra Instinct Goku next to Super Saiyan Blue Evolution Vegeta can still burn your opponent for two damage, which is kind of thematic. I dig that. I just don't dig Invoker. <laughs> which is fair. Like the, the deck had its time. If I never saw a piece of support again, I would understand why. But we are seeing support, so poggers. And this is definitely a card I'll be picking up. And I guess I'm playing Invoker again, I guess. <laughs> Garlic Jr. has not won a single locals yet. And Invoker is getting support. I can't <laughs> stand it. <laughs> oh God. Um and I guess Jesus the, did not die for this. <laughs> Uh, the the notable thing is that this only works with red universe seven leaders, so it does work with the surge leader as well as the new universe seven ones that we get. Quick thing, guys, you can't send cards to warp, so it doesn't work with the Goku. So don't try that. 
but you could try it in um, uh, a any of the Red Universe 7 leaders we had before, or in Gohan and Star Deck Vegeta. Those are possibilities as well. So there's some flexibility there if you want to try it. I will say, though, for Invoker, it's actually quite rare you have Sparking 5 on turn 2. Um, so odds are this is probably closer to like a turn 3 play, because usually the best way that Invoker gets cards, and most notably usually extra cards, into his drop is by your opponent aggroing you and you just being able to cycle a free extra card every single turn. So uh, that's the only real way you get. And the, and the only time you see that much aggro is usually after turn two. So if your opponent went first, arguably you could go into turn two with enough sparking. But typically it's going to be more of a turn three play. But I will say going into turn three, having invoke is like the big thing with having Vegeta beforehand was the fact that you if you like if it was a matchup that you absolutely need invoker as soon as possible. Then you're looking at tapping out Vegeta turn three, tapping out for Vegeta on turn three, awakening from there, and then having the two energy up to be able to defend yourself. And that's to say if they don't deal with Vegeta. This means that your typical turn three, which is when you'll have Sparking to activate it, you're going to have two energy up to use it. Now, mind you, in, in an optimal world, one of them is going to be blue, so you won't get to Invoker, but you can just Dimension Magic to resend the other uh, untap, and it, it's fine. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but now you don't have to tap out for Vegeta, which means you can stay on your unawakened side, which means you can cycle more. And the more you cycle with that, so like the, the way that Invoker gets his card draw is by cycling its extra card. So it, it doesn't net a card when it cycles, but then when you get your draw from sending it to warp, it will get that plus there. And the longer you can stay on that side, the more you cycle, the more you see of your deck, and then the more your hand size goes up. So the fact that we can still do that while having arguably two energy up for maybe a Topo or something, um, or a Violet Rays or what have you, while still being able to do things like Sleepy Boy Technique or like board wipe your opponent, right? You could go do this, go into the Android 17 and 18, then you can D-Magic and Violent Raise your opponent, and then their turn is arguably done if it's the right deck. So I can't go, I, like, I can't say enough how much the fact that this revolutionizes the way that Invoker gets to play now and makes it incredibly solid against the field across the board. So it is an incredibly good card. It is incredibly strong. And it is by far the best card in this set. And will bring Invoker back at the table. Yes. Yes, it will. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting ride, friends. And the wildest part is that Invoker... If Invoker becomes the best deck, Invoker will become the best deck. And the way I'm seeing this kind of play out is that... Apex or no Apex, this deck is still going to do 95% of what it does if you have four Android 17s and the rest of the Invoker deck. Yes, yes. And you can literally, at that point, slide in so many secrets. You could play a Kai if you wanted to. You could play a Pan if you wanted to. You could play the new Vegeta SCR if you wanted to. And so if this becomes the best deck, I full-on expect you to have to understand how to play against Invoker probably mm -hmm. around April. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, once you know get their cards. <laughs> you know how it is. These cards have to not only come out but they have to be shipped from the TOs, which could be anywhere from two weeks to a month oh, and a half. And then they got to be Canadian. resold. So. Yeah. And you got to resell them too. They got to be resold. So yeah. then, you know, you got to sell them and then ship them. Like these will not be in heavy circulation until at minimum, minimum mid to late April, in my opinion. Yeah. I so, 100%. It'd be what it'd be. Yep. Um, but again, um, I think if you have no intention of playing Invoker, my recommendation is you sell these cards as soon as you get their hands on them. These cards oh. will not have value for a long time. The rest of the packs suck. 
ish. Uh, and then Android 17, because there aren't that many universe, uh, I mean, invoker players, um, you're going to see it. But I, uh, 100%, like, there, we could see a rise in invoker players. And I agree with Chris, even as someone who owns an Apex. There have been times in the meta where I've actually considered swapping out Apex for a Kai or for a Pan or, well, uh, yeah, for a Pan or something like that. Um, just because it interacts with the game in a different way that Invoker can struggle with sometimes. Uh, Unisons have made it a little bit tougher for Invoker, depending on what you're, you know, what Invoker they're running. So, in general, there's a lot of flexibility, and the deck will do most of the work. Because usually, uh, Victory Strike doesn't even win you the game. Nine times out of ten, when you play Invoker, it just actually just buys you another turn, which a lot of SCRs do anyways. So, mm-hmm. um. But yeah, so moving on from Android 17, which I think, as is properly named, he is the MVP of this entire pack. Uh, we have Kefla, SS2 Kefla Supreme, Warrior of Universe 6. She's a 7 cost, 3 specified blue, 5k combo for 3,000 power, deflect unique barrier, which is awesome. Those are fantastic keywords. And then auto, if you have 7 or more energy, this card gains triple strike for the turn. Eh. Activate main once per turn, add up to one Khalifa or Kale card from your draw to your hand. All right, look here. Uh, I got a, I got one last comment about MVP, and I got a comment about this Kefla. One, <laughs> ironically, ironically, I don't know how many times they have to shaft Blue Seventeen for him to be a Invoker, <laughs> but clearly not Invoker leader. He has a red battle card that don't even work with him, bro. Like this is this is the one chance to make Invoker Seventeen actually do something. Like, they could have been, like, mono red U7 leader or U7 Android 17 leader. And it would have been like, wait, wow, we can finally use it. If I'm not mistaken, he might actually have an effect that makes it easier to pitch to the graveyard. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. But, like, Jesus, they just don't want this leader to ever do anything. Passing that off. I'm going to find him while we're talking. But passing that off, um, if I'm paying seven for anything... I'm gonna need his keywords to stick around. I don't know why this Kefla requires like I don't know why it's triple strike only stays for one turn. That seems like the dumbest like bit of text I've ever seen. So it's a barrier deflect, and you know what else? It it recurs the Kale and Kalufla every turn, which could be far better than I'm giving it credit for because I have not dived deep enough into that deck to know. But I just saw that triple strike was only for one turn. So it's like you play this thing for seven energy. It doesn't even do crazy stuff when it hits the board. And then your opponent's just like, mm, negate. And you're like, oh, okay. It just turns into a single strike again? Like, <laughs> like I just got Yeah, it's... So there's this, like, I think it's a four-drop Kefla that cheats out seven-drop Keflas. And, like, previously, with the uh, release of <laughs> Saiyan Showdown, I think, it brought out the multicolor Kefla. And that was the only thing it could bring out. So arguably, in, in the deck that's trying to do this, it's a four energy play instead of a seven energy play, which makes it a little bit better. But like, I, I like it's just, it's just bad, bro. Like at seven energy, if what you're doing is putting out a triple striker and that's all it does, like I bet negate. Like what, what are you gonna do the rest of the turn? So like it's, and don't get me wrong, like there are some good Khalifas and Kales. Like there's a Kale board wipe you can pick up. Like this is obviously meant to go and ramp Kale, obviously, and then like work within that archetype and give you a new target for the Kefla that goes into a big Kefla. Like, bro, this shit's ass. Like, I'm never paying the energy cost to do this. Like, I don't... <laughs> yeah. Like, one negate, and you're like... 
Chotaro. <laughs> just like, I, I can't. I just. Nani. <laughs> like, I just, bro. Okay. I, I have to I have to put this out here. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this Blue 17's first two effects. When this card attacks leader card, draw one card. Activate main once per turn. Choose one universe seven card in your hand. Place in your drop area. Draw one card. He literally has an effect to better place the Android 17 of the graveyard, but can't use it because he's blue. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's an oversight. I don't I don't know why it works only with red ones. Because like I mean, it, I'm, I'm, it it, it I'm, obviously doesn't keep out the red universe seven. It does it doesn't keep out invoke like uh invoker Goku, search Goku. So like what are you locking out? Right? Like, what are you locking out by not letting other universe seven leaders do it? They don't want energy ramp Gogeta to ever take a dub again. I don't, I don't know what they're trying to do, but like, A definitely should have included 17. It's, it's even more insult to injury that it's him on the card and he can't utilize yeah. it. And he's, he has never been a good leader. Like, he just came out and we looked at him and we were like, I don't think this works like this Goku does. No, I don't think so either. All right, cool, ditch him. And this was the chance. This was their literal chance. And they were like, yeah, whatever. <sighs> oh. Good. What's this next card? Give us this next card. Yeah, moving on from Kefla, just because that's how little we really have to say it's about booty. it. Um, we have Planetary Manipulation, which I think is the second most interesting. I don't even say it's good, because I don't think it's all that great. But like, it's well, the it's that card, that card Liddy. <laughs> Planetary Manipulation is a one-cost counter-attack, negate the attack, and as a permanent that you can activate this card's counter skill from your hand without paying its energy cost by placing one card from under a nameless planet in your battle area and its owner's drop instead. So, it's a free negate. Alternatively, it has an activate main for triple green. You get to choose one. You get to place up to three cards from under the planet into your, uh, on your battle area into your drop. And if you do, your opponent discards the amount of cards you pitched away. So, up to three, up to a discard three. Otherwise, you get to look at your opponent's hand, play up to one battle card from it in your opponent's battle area in rest mode. I think it's good for the deck. I don't, I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's good for the deck. Okay. See... I definitely, yeah, okay, so it's definitely not our, it, look, we're, we're, I'm already past it not being a generally good card, because green is indeed the color for gimmicks, so I've already <laughs> accepted that, the G in green is for gimmick, and when it comes to the deck, though, the win con may not be something that you try to get off, you know what I mean, that we don't, I haven't done enough Beerus and Champa testing to know how often you can get that win con off, but that being said, this card gives you the ability to turn what could be a dead or unobtainable win con into potentially a game breaking play. And um, the first thing about this is first off, it's like Ribrian plus one when you activate one of the effects. Like I, at first I was like three green for three cards. I hate this. And I was like, wait, people were playing two green for two cards. Okay. I'll, I'll take it back. If you have the energy to use this, you're probably going to use it. Like that's three cards is substantial. Mm. Um, especially in a simplified game state. Like, you get down to a point where you guys have been trading blues and you only have six cards in hand, and your opponent is just like, all right, well, uh, we're going to discard a card with a uh, Chompa Destroys. All right, okay, that's tight, that's tight, that's tight. But I'm also going to sell Kamehameha you. Huh. Seems pretty good. All right, and then I'm just going to tap three and do this. And you're like, that's my entire hand. I am going to draw, skip my charge, and hope I draw playable. And that that could be something that, that snaps somebody in half. So I do feel like that's pretty neat. Now, the other effect seems very weird um, to rip a card from your hand. But the one thing that kind of pulled me over, like, I feel like that's going to be kind of a waste because 
you you look through their hand and that gives you information. That's the most important part. I mean, mm. three energy though for a freaking crown of retribution. Granted, you don't have to have any sort of res- uh, restriction except having a weird gimmicky field card. I guess that is a restriction. Point being, um, you get full knowledge of your opponent's hand, and that's a big part. Now, the other part though is that I used to get afraid of the playing, but I remember that a lot of cards nowadays don't have like uh like i was like worried about like secret rares and stuff like that but you know those secret rares normally have their come to play effects tied to their counter yep. so that even if they get bounced or something they still you know stop you from swinging so there are some times where if your board's already established you can kind of go in king like like literally just imagine you have that super saiyan goku on board or super saiyan blue cow king goku on board and you um you just put him on the board or you, you rip your opponent's pan out of their hand that comes into play, and then you just turn sideways. They can negate you, but you're still going to buy auto, swing, and blow up their pan. And because you attacked, and you blew up... Like that, that, there's, there's plays that can go into that deck where no matter what you pull out of their hand, you're just going to nuke it. And I think that's actually really, really, really cool. So I don't think this brings the deck to like like high-tier... 1.5 or anything, but I think it's actually a really unique card for this deck, and the art's cool. I think if this card's like worth less than five dollars at any point, I'm just gonna snatch them up. They look good. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that this indicates to me for the card, and I do agree, I think it, the effects are relevant, are relevant, right? Like it's a card that like late game you see. I don't think you'll ever be upset because like, hey, late game, I've got nothing better to do with three. I'll rip three out of my cards opponent's hand, then maybe I can go for game. And he's got like three less to combo with or whatever. Or like I can look at his hand. And see what I'm working with. So I, I think the effects are solid. Um, and obviously just having the free negate is nice. I think, uh, but the biggest indication here for me is that I, the, the more and more cards and the more and more I evaluate the archetype, the more I start, I'm starting to realize that the win con isn't actually a win con. I don't think you're ever actually supposed to go for the win con. Realistically, it's too slow. It's too conditional. It takes too much time. What you are effectively doing and what we might get in future support and what we're seeing here with this support is that you're, what you're actually utilizing is that field card, one, to mitigate offense because it has abilities that protect you a little bit. Um, but secondarily, um, you're using it to be able to uh, have resources for extra effects. So like this, paying for free negate, um, paying to rip cards out of your opponent's hand. So what I'm effectively seeing them do with this archetype is really just utilize it more to, uh, to pay for costs of effects. And, I, and that's kind of how you have to think about it. So it's... It's a mitigation card that also allows you to be able to extend certain plays depending on the cards in your deck. And I think that's kind of how, like, where your mindset has to be when we're considering um, this archetype. Because, like, every single one of these effects, quote-unquote, effectively set you back a turn from the Altwin Con. And a lot of things that this archetype is trying to do does that same thing because they take cards out from under there. So, effectively, what I think it really is all about is just doing good value plays, um... And making usage out of cards. So when you're looking at it from that lens, I think cards like these are super solid. Like, I think if you're playing Beers and Champa, there's no reason not to run this card. I dig that. I dig that. But, of course, like you said, it's um, in the gimmick color. So, once again, I I doubt these will be expensive long. But this is the second most interesting card to me out of this pack. Now, it's a mile away from A17, but this is the one that caught my eye after that one. Uh, I will say the nail one's kind of interesting. It's a support. <laughs> it's support Stop. for yellow Namekians. A uh, nail Namekian guard. I mean, it's interesting. It exists. <laughs> nail Namekian guardian is a one cost yellow five k combo for zero four k blocker that has an auto for two yellow. 
If your lady card is yellow, when this card is KO'd, play up to one Piccolo fused with Nail from your deck, then shuffle your deck. If you played a card, place up to three Namekian cards under it from your drop area. So the Piccolo you go get is like a double striker. Um, he's like the one that has like the SPR that says like I can win or whatever. And yes. then and then if he lies to you. <laughs> and then he has an ability where like if you have three Namekians under him, you can rest mode one of your opponent's energy and it doesn't untap on their turn. Um, that's so like yeah the deck's still bad uh, this doesn't make the deck good <laughs> you said yes <laughs> the <deck's dumb>. so like eh. <laughs> i appreciate that they are exploring one namekians again if anything this is maybe telling us that maybe they'll revisit yellow namekians again they did they have made a little sneak peek on the new set reveal stuff that maybe we're going back to namekians so hey Hey, but, I mean, I, I did, I did, I did talk about that with that with that potentially Android Saga Cell Saga, and yeah. I mean, look, we we might get some Nekians support. We may get like Piccolo fused with Kami instead, and he may just go the heck off. Yep. So there's a uh, there's something in there, but eh, I mean, it's cute. I, that's that's about as far as I care to talk about this card. Woof. <laughs> what you got? Anything else to say about it? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and I think the last one. Oh, actually, never mind. This one's actually super interesting. And this is probably the second most interesting in as the Beerus and Champa. Uh, Majin Buu Trickery Nemesis is a four cost black Buu 5k combo, 15k power permanent. If your lady card is a green Majin Buu card, this card is green while in your deck or drop area, which means it combos with the most recent green Buu archetype we got allowing it to be playable out of those areas. And that is an activate main for three. If your lead card is green or black, Majin card, and you have four or more energy, play up to one green or black Majin Buu card energy cost of five or six from your hand. So respectively, going into the boss monsters of the deck, and this is great. This plays out the five drop green, which like on paper reads insane. It's like a board wipe. It uh, punishes, it taxes your opponent if they attack. Um, so that five drop great. It's just the fact that you had to hard pay five for it in those green decks. But now that there's like an alternative way to be able to get there in chain, also, I think this card is fantastic for those decks. Hmm. Sounds like due to me. No, I'm kidding. Um, it actually, <laughs> I, I I deal with it. I mess with it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, the five drop boo, like the kid boo from Crossbears, you mean? Yeah, like the one that like is like yeah. five specified green and it board wipes everything and it board wipes and you gotta like lose cards just to get it off the field. It's pretty gnarly. It's actually pretty gnarly. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's solid. I think it's a good piece of support. It was weird that those that archetype came out and you had no actual way to get into the five drop. I thought that felt a little disjointed. Hard um, cast, baby. <laughs> yeah, in green. On turn five. <laughs> Are you trying to insinuate that because I'm not blue, I cannot hard cast? <laughs> I mean, you can make, you, you can. Because you'd be right. <laughs> I won't hold you, fam. You'd be right. You know, skirting around that and all. Um, but yeah, the card's cool. Uh, I think it's great. I think Green Boo players will be happy about this. I think Green Boo in general has been a relatively pretty sweet archetype. It has done a decent amount of things. Um, I wouldn't say high level, but like I, we've had some notable players pilot the deck. I think they've done some really cool things. I think the deck can aggro really great. So I think it's a great piece of support you would add to the deck. So I think 
on this front, this is like a good piece. Like I, I'm glad this is here. It's one of those cards where, um, is it insane? No. Is it a reason to play into regionals after the first month? Arguably not, but they're cool. And I like, I, and like, this is the level of support that I think is dope. If we are going to go and give old deck support with these type of cards. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with what he just said. It's um, I always like it when they bring back archetypes. It's just like, it's, it's bittersweet for me because on one hand, I really do like it when they do these sort of things. On the other hand, I'm kind of more of a person where I know you can't get everything right the first go around, but like, come on guys, if you're going to just make an archetype, put enough testing into it where we'll be dead on arrival. Um, if you got to buff an archetype like mad sets later with a card that may or may not be ineffectual, I feel like you've already kind of failed your game. Um, but it also just kind of makes you at a weird space where, um, you know, you play a card and you feel like your deck is now part of the meta and then you don't see this new card and you feel like your deck is exactly how it was when you decided not to sleep it up in the first place. So, like, I am weird when they start printing certain, like, I like uh, I like the EX sets, but you can't just do EX sets for, like, eight different decks. Like, mm. it would need to be, like, a maybe a promo set that has its own booster box because yeah you can't just make like these like just keep making product with like three or four cards that support an archetype because then you start having to really pick and choose and people are going to feel shorted all the time it's just kind of weird when you put a bunch of power on one card you really are leaning directly on that one card to single-handedly pull an archetype out of the dust yeah usually and like it, it depends right like they can make it as correct as they want to kind of like fix those consistency issues, right? Like look how incredibly good the field cards are when they did the reboot fields for um, King Vegeta and Broly. Like those single-handedly completely changed how those decks function. So like, eh, it depends. Like it's a toss-up. Sometimes it's not like, cause I wouldn't, ar- I would argue that Majin, the, the green Majin boot deck wasn't dead on arrival. It wasn't like up to snuff and it's in green, which means that it had some competitive viability issues just because it's in the wrong color. But like, it was still like a pretty solid deck for what it was. Ebro needed Sinsu Bean to rise to the occasion. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I don't disagree on that front at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are the uh, championship promos. Again, guys, if you are looking to plus from your events based solely on participation, move your cards quickly. The Invoker card will have value. Majin Buu will have some value. Heck, Beerus and Champa maybe a little bit for those people who really want to play their that deck, you know, day one. But Otherwise, um, I do think this is going to be a regional season where the first set of champ promos uh, won't last the same way that Zamasu's have lasted, the same way that Robotic Repose have lasted. So do keep that in mind. Ah, yes. Generic good card versus <laughs> extremely archetype based. Yep. I mean, you, know, you never know, you know. Uh, I will say, though, that there is some value in event packs. Um, so the event packs have been announced. When they did the DBS Fest stuff, so it's the um, it's the Splooge promos, uh, which have some great cards in there. I, you did not. All right, continue. <laughs> I did. <laughs> continue. Uh, You're out of line. But continue. <laughs> uh, so they have some fantastic cards in there. So if you're looking for value outside of the champ promos, the event packs are actually pretty good. Um, they have Earthshattering Kamehameha. They've got the Vegeta for the U7 deck. Uh, Red Green Piccolo still has a pretty value. Uh, the KP uh, or the Piccolo Unison is there as well. Once again, great value. It's got the Rosie, got Robotic Repost. Um, so across the board, I, it's got the the Kive Time. 
So in general, the event pack is pretty solidly overall. I'm, you know, my heart goes out to you if you get the higher dragon. But uh, if you get anything else, it should kind of mitigate. So nevertheless, these are still real good events to participate in. I just do think, especially since event packs lose out their luster even faster than championship packs, that after March, um, the financial viability of these tournaments are going to be a little tougher. So if you're participating exclusively for that portion, I would say set your expectations accordingly. But... Nevertheless, that's pretty much all the updates for regionals. I'm excited for them to be back. Um, I will say it is a shame that they're not best on one pre-sides. But nevertheless, I think, um, you know, I'm happy that they're kickstarted again. It looks like we're going to be looking at some offline events as well, which is great because the world is opening up again. And it does look like Ben is going to take cues on that front. Fantastic. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm jazzed. Uh, it's been a hot minute since we've played competitively. I myself, when you account for the fact that I think it was in November, right? Uh, we had nationals. So I was not really practicing because I was getting ready to commentate nights. And then we had worlds. And then we had nothing for the first three months of the year. Hey, uh, yo. Two months and a half. So <laughs> it's, it's, been a, it's been almost a five-month block that I haven't streamed a Dragon Ball like high-level regional tournament, nor even played at all. So um, I'm excited to get back in competitive play. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I am looking forward to practicing and actually <laughs> having results that uh, reflect my practicing. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, I'm down for more competitive events. And I think Worlds, as well as Nats last year, set the stage. So I'm excited to see how they level that up even more going into the 22 season. So best of one pre-side is an exciting change. We, have, we do know that Dave Fashbender, who is like the DBS head judge extraordinaire, I did say that Bandai was looking to change a lot of things going into this this year's season. Now, I don't know if that exclusively means prizing or whatnot, or, you know, best one pre-side is just the first thing. But, hey, it looks like we might be in, in for a lot of changes. It's exciting. So, look forward yeah. to that. Um, of course, if you guys want registration info, everything will be on the Dragon Ball Super Card Game Facebook. Uh, and they are going to be posting more events for the regions that haven't been announced yet. So, definitely always keep your eyes on there for the latest updates. I'm just waiting for these in-person regionals. I cannot wait. Yep, I feel you on that one. Um, especially since it looks like it's going to be cheaper for me to travel into the States now, considering that testing is going to be a lot cheaper for me to get into or back to my country, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is great because previously it needed PCR tests, which are like 200 bucks a pop, um, depending on the state you're in, because not every state gives you PCR tests for free. That's uh, broken. Yeah. It depends. Sometimes you can get away with it because they don't have like um, some states don't force you to have to show like your medical card to get mm -hmm. like the free PCR test. Um, so like in Texas, I didn't have I, I didn't have to show any form of ID besides my driver's license. And oh. I got I got the test. But in some places, it's like, nah, bro, if you ain't a citizen, you ain't getting dick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like I feel like you definitely got the dick. hundred percent, bro. So like it's yeah, it's it's either two hundred dollars less that I need to spend, or an additional two hundred dollars I need to spend plus travel plus stay and all that. So, um, the fact that that is a cost that I won't have to worry about means that I could may have some fun traveling a little bit. So we'll see how that lands. I love With it. That, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. With this, that's basically everything that we had with the regional. And now we're going to jump into new set info. So just before this podcast, like literally just before, we're talking a couple of hours beforehand, um, distribution sites 
finally got info for the set after Realm of the Gods. Now, the weird part about why that is is the fact that usually you have to uh, pre-order so many months in advance for Dragon Ball stuff. Like, like before almost anything about the set's showcase revealed or anything like that. Uh, but this is, hasn't been the case. And there's been some speculation. Oh, no, the game is dying. Yeah, whatever. Um, or Always the doomsday. <laughs> or there's the people, or there's the fact that, hey, maybe they're switching distributors, which I think might actually kind of be the case. Um, or maybe it just tied to them wanting to save some information about, let's say, if it was a movie set or whatever. Um, save whatever piece of information because they know once it hits distribution sites, it's going to go public basically the same day. So it's a number of things. But nevertheless, it finally actually arrived. We got it here. Um, the info has been shared by a few sources. So here's the breakdown of the set. A unique set that allows fans to experience the fun and appeal of Z-Leader as a tutorial. Leaders will push the limits and awaken to become Z-Leaders. In addition to the three secret rares, one god rare is included. Again, the god rare is an alternate art for one of the set's secret rares that players will love. This set includes SS4 Son Goku, SS4 Vegeta, as well as Piccolo and other popular characters. Each color will contain cards with a new gimmick. It is weird that they called it gimmick. I feel like mechanic would have sold better, but with a new gimmick that would enhance old archetypes. SS4 Vegito Zeno from Dragon Ball Heroes Dark Empire Saga makes his first debut. Wait, 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 wait. What if they mean what they said? Mechanic would have sold better than gimmick, but what if by saying gimmick, they're just letting us know that all the new cards are green? <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, guys, the new set's green. Pack your shit up. <laughs> we, we, we've heard Chris talk. He's been saying there's no one set that will fix it. I bet we'll just oh make... Oh, my God. They said, they said watch me. They said watch us. <laughs> they heard the video. They said watch us. <laughs> Oh, God. But uh, there is so much extrapolate. Usually, you can pull a little bit from these descriptions from GTS. From, uh, this one didn't come from GTS, actually. GTS doesn't actually have this up yet. But um, there's only so much you can extrapolate from descriptions. But this one's so much because Z Leaders effectively confirms that we will be EX evolving, whatever you want, Z Leaderifying, whatever the hell, our leaders. I think that's crazy. Also, prediction. Y'all can yell at me at this one if I get it wrong. I think we're going to get a secret rare Z leader. Which means we've effectively going to get our first ever secret no. rare leader. Stop that right now. <laughs> that, needs to, uh, that needs to not be a thing because if... Uh no. No, no, no. <laughs> Oy. Um so the the thing with the Z so we'll start with the Z leaders first and we'll we'll go down the list. Um the thing with 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 what makes Z leaders interesting is that one, it's a very easy way to provide new support or an upgrade to old archetypes instead of rebooting an entire leader. So we can just power up the leader later in the game and then give him new abilities that allow him to be able or them to be able to do whatever they need to. 
Alternatively, Z leaders could be um, a little bit dangerous. Well, quote unquote dangerous. Because maybe, I mean, not maybe, almost guaranteed, new leaders in the future may be designed with Z leaders in mind, which means we'll get mediocre regular leaders that then be able to evolve into Z leaders. The one solace that I will say to that is the fact that we did see in the trailer where they first sneak peeked the mechanic in Battle Hour is the fact that they Z leadered the set 16 Realm of the Gods Blue Goku, which means they are going to support older leaders with this ability. So now what are, what are the restrictions? Um, I don't know. Uh, presumably, there's two ways they can go about I mean, there's multiple ways they could go about it, obviously. But I think the most logical way is character name. So if as long as it matches the character name, but that's like way too generic, right? So is it maybe it'll be explicitly like leader name? So like this specific leader turns into this specific Z leader. I don't know. There's a lot of ways it can go about it, but I, I, th th there's a lot like there's so much design space with this. And there's even more so when you consider that like, you know, future leaders will probably be designed with this mechanic in mind. But also this is probably one of the new ways to reboot some leaders. Ah, see, I'm kind of, I'm kind of weird about this one. Um, I think, oh, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much, eh? <laughs> um, it's just kind of an issue when it comes to the fact that if they're going to be evolving over leaders, right? You can't do it by special trait because you'll have to print a million of these guys and balance each one. You can't do it by um I, I i think it would have to start off by color like it would have to be almost generic color and that is weird for me I, i'm gonna i'm gonna flat out say it right there because that's gonna be super generic i i think leaders are the kind of coolest parts of this game and having ex evolves over leaders essentially where at the moment they kind of have to be generic because there's only going to be so many they can print in a set Kind of makes leaders more homogeneous. If you're playing green, your in game will always be the de facto green EX leader. You know what I mean? And I think that takes away some of the unique play. Like, I don't want to spend all my game. Actually, no, that's a weird part. How do EXs work? Because you have so many cards that can only be used if your leader is X. Will they yeah, still yeah. retain their special traits? Will they only last for a turn? Will they, like, like how do these things work? Because am I going to put a a card over my uh if i'm gonna put a card down and then be like oh i don't have a u7 red leader anymore i can't use half my shit like like what is going to go down with how these work this is going to be a very interesting thing yeah i i don't think it'll be that generic because i thought about it but it's like i highly doubt we're going to be in because like when you said one there are so many things that are tied to your leader that I just, like, sure, then arguably you could make them this generic, but, like, you're just going to break your deck by doing it. Um, and then secondarily, I, like, we've talked in, you know, time and time again about how thematic the designers of the Dragon Ball card game like to be with their game. I don't see them, like, Z-leader evolving a Frieza into a Goku. You know, like... <laughs> so, <laughs> so... I don't I think it'll be a little bit more restrictive than that, but I agree. Like, is it once per turn? Does it like drop off when your turn starts? Like what happens, right? Like, is it gonna have 
ultimate or are you going to run four of them in your deck and like so that you see it when you want to awaken but then if you want but then if you if it's permanent then what do you do with the extra copies are they going to be comboable does that mean we'll now have comboable leader cards um you know so that there's so many questions that this brings up that is just like but it's exciting i mean this shit opens up so much of the game yeah you're right but uh yeah i'm excited for new news because this this, i mean this is uh, as impactful as and i will say it's notable because apparently this is not part of unison warrior which one thank holy christ i am so tired of unison warrior and the fact that we're finally moving on from this block and don't get me wrong this block has given me nice memories and i love unisons for the most part (laughs) and so like don't get me wrong. The block has done some really cool things. Has brought some interesting decks that I have loved and some fantastic strategies. But I'm so glad that we're moving past that now. And like the fact that we're jumping into a new realm. And this is basically as impactful as Unisons. You know, b- before Unisons, it was Multicolor and Surge. Then we got Unisons. And now we're back to evolving the game once again with these Z leaders. So, but I agree with you. I think the big thing that you brought up is that we hopefully they are going to be restrictive enough to a point where not every deck turns into. I finished, right? Like, let's say we say Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, how many decks are Alki Fibrax into Axis Go Talker? That's how I finish the game. Just because that's like the most optimal way to close out the game. Or how many decks just kind of like make Zeus and sit on Zeus. So we, I, I definitely agree with you that the individuality of the game is important. And we don't want to get into a place where the game becomes, you know, 10 different ways to get to the same finisher. Yeah. Moving on to the subscription, there's three secret rares and the god rares coming back, which I'm surprised. Not because I don't think the god rares is a good thing. Um, I think, well, it depends. Some people think it's good. Some people think it's not good because it lowers the uh, EV of a set because now everyone's chasing the lottery cards, yada, yada. I'm definitely not getting it. That, that's a whole podcast in its own right. But <laughs> in terms of collectability, in terms of like chase cards in a set that people love, um, I'm not surprised it came back. I'm surprised it came back so quickly because, like, if we compare Digimon, Ghost Omni got printed, and I guess at this point, our God Rare just kind of proved that we shouldn't be comparing to Digimon because they're going a whole different route with these. <laughs> but if anything, which I will say is interesting, we still don't actually know the pull rates for these God Rares. But correct. Uh, but this card's exciting. The fact that we're going back to it, I'm not shocked. I'm just shocked we're going back to it so quickly, explicitly because Digimon hasn't had their a new God Rare since their original Omni. But As the fact. Stands. Yeah, as it stands. But I, I'm down. Um, you know, it always depends on how good the secret rares are and then in itself, which one they pick to be the god rare. But if it's anything like the Vegeta, like, I'm down about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I, I am still very, very excited to try to get in there and attempt to crack this god pack. So, uh, I mean, we're going to see. We're going to see. Moving on. This set includes SS4 Son Goku, SS4 Vegeta, as well as Piccolo and other popular archetypes. So, looking back, um, presume there, there's two routes they can go about this. There, it's either heroes, but because they're not talking about Xeno Goku, I do believe this is just straight up SS4 Goku and Vegeta, which makes sense. Because I have heard for like a month rumors that the next set was going to be GT themed. And I don't know where those people were pulling that info out of their ass. I don't know what insinuated them on this. But now that's coming to fruition which is super hot. Um, it's been a while since we've been back to GT. The last time we went back to GT was uh, blue, um, SS4 uh, Vegeta Ramp. 
and Blue Baby. And then before that, it was the Yellow Baby stuff and then the Yellow SS4 Goku stuff. So it's been a hot minute since we've gone back to like traditional SS4 um, with the Goku SS4 line, which is great. So we're going back to that, supposedly. I'm excited for that. Um, yeah. Um, as of set 17, uh, Unix DVS will be taking a competitive break. <laughs> I mean, you're a hero stand, right? Or, or you, you, like, you like all that Xenoverse stuff? <laughs> I tolerate it. <laughs> but we do uh, not stand garbage trash in this house. <laughs> I, I, I stand that GT had good ideas, just terrible uh, most of the time, not every time. They just had terrible right. execution. It hit Vegeta with a freaking ray gun, bro. True, bro. <laughs> it bro. Super <laughs> a whole show about Dang. training and hard work and dedication. They said, wifey, fire up the blood ray cannon. And she was like, aye, aye, baby. I mean, for, what, just... for what it's worth, before they nerfed Zenkai boosts, Vegeta was the man who told Krillin to blast his ass with a blast so that he could become stronger. Like, this isn't completely off the wall for Vegeta. All right, but that was extremely manly. Getting hit by a cheap <laughs> ring. By, getting hit by the action replay cannon. <laughs> definitely, definitely the game the game shark rays did not seem manly. Having Krillin blow a hole through his abdomen and trust that the people he'd been trying to terrorize and kill for the past month would bring him back to life was the most manly shit I've ever seen. <laughs> they could have just been like you know what one bad guy down let's <laughs> figure out how we deal with Frieza <laughs> like that was that the balls it took bro mm. that was super wild um, or, or we can talk about how like they they were like like people all the time are like super has some some jank ass villains I'm like okay well they at least tried to make new villains what would you rather us do wish Goku to be a kid again where he can only hold Super Saiyan 3 for a minute straight because we could. <laughs> we yeah, could take that route. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was mid-AF. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <sighs> um, but so I guess my biggest surprise here is the fact that this is not... Well, when you think about the timelines of set releases, it actually makes a little bit more sense. The fact that this next set doesn't advertise that it's tied <clears throat> to the movie. Um, which surprises me. Now, oh, and I do have to say, actually, asterisk, supposedly, this is for set 18. And the next set we're supposed to get is actually set 17. <laughs> but, which, but that is weird considering, where's the info for set 17 then, if that's the case? Tied to the movie. <laughs> and, but then they showcased the Z leader stuff in battle hour which is kind of weird that they would do that for two sets down the line instead of the next set down the line so there is a lot of i don't know what the hell's going on because i've got information from a lot of different sources and it's really hard to tie it all together now i would make sense of this to mean like okay next set's gonna be all of this stuff we just talked about z leaders and all of that but it's advertised as set 18 so and me, so it's just like what's happening let me put this out here you ready for it ready for the hey, boom yeah so we are about to get this next set 
in March. Um, we generally have, if I'm not mistaken, about a three month breach. Like, yep. uh, isn't that true? Isn't that true? Yeah, it's one every three months. So if you think about it, let's say we move three months and this set 17 comes out in June, which is my birthday month, the month of the Gohan, apparently. Um, so let's say we get this next set in June. This is all speculation, of course, but you know what I'm good for. Um, we have just got it announced that while the Dragon Ball Super superhero movie is coming out in April for Japan, it will have a 2022 summer release in dub. Bro, it's that long? Yeah. Oh my god. But that being said, there's no way Funimation isn't already like working on it because like, you know, like Funimation Dragon Ball team is like go to this like their primary thing. So, I think that it lines up perfectly for our next set to come out in June, the movie to come out in the summer, and they don't even have to worry about technically spoiling the movie if the set comes out like a month like I I assume it June is a perfect time, but let's say the the movie comes out in July. It's not really spoilers because the movie's been out since freaking April. Like promotional footage is everywhere, leaks are everywhere. Doken Battle and Legends has already gotten units. Like there's just no shot that things are considered a secret anymore. So if this is information for set 18, it fully makes sense why they would be hush hush about set 17 because anything about set 17 could lead to spoilers about their movie. And Toei is very very tight lipped about that. Like the movie is coming out in a month. And we have not seen a single bit of promotional in-game data for any of their games. Heroes hasn't even gotten it. And just for people who don't know about Dragon Ball Heroes, they spoil everything. Like, literally everything. Like, when we were in Dragon Ball Super, Ultra Instinct Omen first got its name because the unit and card appeared in Heroes. Like, it had no name in the the sub anime. And then it was just like, Ultra Instinct Omen. And people were like, oh. Okay, like uh, <laughs> when uh, when Broly came out in the movie, people were just like legendary Super Saiyan Broly. Dragon Ball Heroes was like, nope, units in game. He has full power Super Saiyan Broly. Oh, alrighty then. So like, Heroes is like the first bit of spoilage for all these things, and Heroes has no tease of this movie, despite it coming out in the next like two months, somewhere around there. Well, I mean, you know, a month and a half. So I'm really do thinking that, uh, I really am thinking that if we were to get set 17 and have heavy themes from the movie, that lines up perfectly with the U.S. release and also would make sense why they're being so ginger about any details for set 17. Yeah, that actually makes sense. Also, considering that, like, the timelines make more sense when you also consider that the set was delayed. So if you had, like, not considered the delay, they also line up, like, really, really well as well. So just wanted to add that little clarification that, like, According to the site, it said set 18. So this might not apply directly to the next set, but it is tied to the information and teasers that we got in Battle Hour. So just to bring that all together, and I am surprised that it's not movie stuff, but like Chris said, I think they are literally just staying as tight-lipped as possible for this movie stuff, which is why set 17 is kind of in like a wombo dreamland at the moment. Um, But that's everything about the same, and like, no, I'm jazzed. I'm excited. It looks like they're finally changing up the formula. They're changing up the game, which I'm down for because it's felt a little samey for a bit. So, um, but that's not all. Alongside the new set, we also got starter decks and lots of starter decks. It's I don't know if we've ever gotten this many. We're getting four new starter decks. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, no, it makes sense. Four <laughs> starter decks, four colors, gimmick set, all green. <laughs> <laughs> Confirm set 18 green light. That's the name of the set. Green light. 
It's going to be a revolution for a color that's been shafted for so long. That's why we're getting so many starter decks because they're not planning on putting any other colors in the freaking set. This makes so much sense. <laughs> we cracked it. So going down top to bottom, we'll keep the most exciting one for last. Um, we've got a so these are starter decks. So think of more along the long, along the lines of starter Vegeta as opposed to ultimate decks like we've seen with Toa. So which which is fine. The to be honest, the lines have kind of started graying out in between the two of them. So uh, rusted. Yeah. So I thought I thought it was a super solid deck. So uh we got green go tanks. Now mind you, some of the names were flipped in the detail information, but I have the boxes right in front of me. And uh I'ma just I'ma just be blunt. Some of the information didn't make sense unless I reorganized some of the characters. So I'm gonna go with the silhouettes here. <laughs> uh green go tanks. Uh we have yellow ape Goku. So revisiting that, which kind of ties in really well with the GT stuff. Uh, we have blue trunks. Now I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get how this is trunks because this looks, this hair looks way too spiky to be trunks. But I might have to compare his like Super Saiyan form and like see if it lines up. What if it's his Akari Rage form from um, when Goku Black told him that all this crap was his fault, which it actually was? Yeah, maybe. Shit. <laughs> and finally, a character that people have been asking for for a very, 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 <clears throat> very long time, and. It's not a again. We don't actually know if this is a reboot starter deck, kind of like with the Mass Saiyan. But Eric Salito, this this one goes out to you, bro. Uh, we are getting a red pan starter deck with the release of all this new stuff. Yeah, that's one hundred percent her blasting off again <laughs> with the chain. They they finally pushed the button. <laughs> Eric Salito will single-handedly buy out every single store of the starter deck. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, ah, that's Gohan's daughter. And so there's a very good chance the reboot might be worse than the original cut. Now, okay, I'm, uh, <laughs> they haven't been friendly with you, boy. True. True. I mean, come on. He's like he's on two secret rares. Like that's more than a lot of other characters. He said he's on two secret rares. Ah, T- oh, stop it. Stop <laughs> it right now. Stop talking. Stop talking. Take it back. I no longer want to listen to you. So, <laughs> um, so really exciting lineup, and it again reconfirms that we are going back to GT. Um, you know, which is exciting. The most uh, apparently we're doing some ape stuff. Which hey, I'm down. I'm down for some golden Goku. Uh, maybe this means we're going back to some lineage support potentially. Um, Goku Jr. kind of got there. Who knows? There, there's two. There's like when we're talking about yellow Goku GT. There's like a couple of lines. There's obviously the one where you could get to two life. Um, but that deck got like incredibly nerfed more so than Yellow Baby because Yellow Baby can kind of survive without the Great Ape Whisper Pan. Not so much the Goku deck, that's for sure. So between that and the limit to Heartfelt Plea. Uh, I think having a revitalization of what yellow Gokus can do is, or Goku GT can do is really interesting. Uh, green Go Tanks, I think that's just more green Go Tank support. So like, hoorah, the deck was like, you know, tier two, decently viable deck, uh, rogue deck pick, even though it's in green. Uh, so I think more support on that makes more sense. I don't know, blue trunks could literally be anything. We've had so many blue trunks archetypes that kind of a toss up. So it's interesting to see where they take that. And then finally, Pan! So the big thing is like, is this a new pan? Is this a reboot pan? Preferably a reboot. I think that would make old pan players super excited, but maybe they take her in a new direction. And I think those players will be a little bit less excited, but nevertheless, still excited to see a pan. 
To be fair, if these were all, what if all four of these were reboot leaders? Reboot Pan, reboot Golden Ape into like, like against Long Odds, I think it was. Long Odds Goku. Yeah. We could have a Long Odds Goku reboot, a Pan reboot, a uh, Gotenks reboot. And then Blue would leave a lot of things. Like if it was a Trunks reboot, that would be very interesting because I think that leader was pretty solid. He just kind of needs some updates that don't involve weird erratas making him better or worse. Yeah. Um, but that silhouette is really sketchy because, like, let's look, take a look at it right now. And, like, look, like, just look at it. If you open it up, there's some really spiky hair. But look to the left, right above where the uh, cutout is. Is that, like, the case of a sword? Is that, like, that is, like, suspiciously shaped. You see what I'm saying? It's weird. Like, I don't, like, the, the, you've got this, like, dangling bit on the left. And then, like you said, you got, like, the sheath or maybe of a sword. Like, I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah this isn't like third form or third grade trunks because that arm is like too sus but that arm was close to her leg but you know that could be like his jacket and then his hand coming out of his jacket either way that silhouette looks ugly there's no way for me to tell what this is. <laughs> yeah so like i mean if it serves the purpose of us not knowing what the fuck is going on they did a job properly three foot long shalong coming out of his coat sleeve <laughs> like look at, look at the end of it like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, even if that is a leg, like, I don't understand the rest of the pose. <laughs> <So> <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, no, nah, this, this is exciting stuff. I think, you know, obviously, I think most of the hype will come when we actually get the reveals. But I think a lot of, you're 100% right. These could definitely all be reboots. And, like, I wouldn't be shocked any which way about it if they were. Yeah. Which, I, I guess at that point, they all make sense, except for maybe... Gotenks to me. I don't think Gotenks was a deck that needed a reboot. I think the I think the leader is like still incredibly good. I think the deck is still like really solid. But like maybe this will be a situation where the leader isn't a reboot leader, but the archetype cards are just cards you take out and put into the old Gotenks. Or maybe in the new Gotenks. Who knows? There's a lot there's lots of ways they could go about it. Watch the information just be an assumption that it is Gotenks and actually not Gotenks at all. Bro, it could be wrong. But like, here's a reason why I'm not like gonna say like what the original colors were. <laughs> one is just to potentially protect my sources, because like, what if this is one of those things where like Bandai sent like different distributors different information on like what leaders were associated to what deck, and then that's like their special code of figuring out who leaked the information or whatnot. <laughs> that's super strong. Because <laughs> like, there's no way you look at these deck boxes and you're like. This character should be this one because this character does not exist in like anyways. <laughs> so um, to be fair though, in typical Bandai function, if you really want to go there, uh, continuing an archetype in a separate color with a theme that very much so matches the previous color, but in a different color, is actually kind of up to par. That's that Bandai. It's not. It is not impossible. You're one hundred percent correct. Ginyu Force has. <laughs> Three different colors. They all do the same shit <laughs> in different ways. But cannot work with each other. <laughs> God, what is it? Is it yellow turtles? Is like meant to work with green turtles, but they can't combo in his deck or something like? <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. They're like they, they're leader, they're leader and color locked. But then there's like three cards that were made after the fact that were like, but you can use green cards too, and they try to make some multicolored as if you were gonna really spend your first turn or two tapping green yellow cards instead of actually playing cards. I just it hurts. 
<laughs> if they had made one of them like a check land, that would have been so much better. But it's like, bro, like I double charge green, yellow, and I'm dead. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's most of anything we have to talk about so far about the newest uh, releases, newest information. There is there anything else you want to say about the uh, new set info before we move on to the mailbag, Chris? Mm. Pan is half Gohan, so that's acceptable. But like I said, uh, I think if this is saying it's set 18, there's a good chance that we're going to see more later. And you know what? Or uh, more from uh, set 13 soon enough. And I'm okay with that. I'm actually really okay with that because I am looking forward to having another playable Gohan leader. It tickles my heart. Yep. Same. Same. Um, but that said, those were our main topics for today. We'll be jumping into the SC mailbag. And of course, guys, if you like your questions answered on the show, then feel free to tweet at us with the hashtag SC mailbag or jump into our discords in the SC mailbag section and we'll make sure to answer them on air. Got three questions today. First one is from Torax and he says, Chris, besides Gohan, which we all know you would pick, what characters should get an ultimate? hey yo alright first off first off I need to see that question was it really that pointed uh, well I mean I, I rephrase it to make more sense but he just straight up says besides Gohan Uni we all know who you're gonna pick what character should get some ultimates alright alright um, so you're looking for you're looking for like he's talking like a secret rare yeah yeah like which, which, which card deserves a secret rare Honestly, they've been using secret rares to capture iconic characters. But if you really think about it, every single character is an iconic character. So I think we need to start getting more iconic moments mm. in the uh, in the anime. And uh, you know, for your information, Father Son Kamehameha definitely deserves an ultimate. Okay, so get out of here. Whenever they go to the Cell Saga, that needs to be an ultimate. But moving past that, um, I think if we ever go back to the Frieza art. We 100% need Goku with the no shirt back towards the camera, Super Saiyan hair, lightning in the background, dark black background, shiny gold foil lightning that matches his gold foil hair. We need Goku the legendary Super Saiyan, like Sun Goku the legendary Super Saiyan as an ultimate. That, uh, I think like that, yes, we know Awakened Power is like such a cool card, but Goku hitting Super Saiyan for the first time is just as iconic. It's, it's more iconic. It's way more iconic. So it flabbergast me that we don't have a secret rare ultimate card that's just goku hitting super saiyan for the first time um yeah. i don't know what we gotta get but i feel like honestly that should have been one of the first cards they put on that list so um definitely him i'm just gonna give a top list actually it's uh we should definitely have that one um this is gonna sound weird because i don't think a lot of people would jive this as much but uh Kid Boo, when he first turned back into Kid Boo, like when they ripped everything out of him and he like shrunk down after becoming like steroid Boo. Um, I guess it's like Boo South Kai absorbed if you really want to get technical and nerdy. Boo on that mountain, just in that moment where people were looking at him and Shin is like in another dimension, like, no, 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 that's the original Boo. Like that was a moment of sheer terror. Like everybody knew that something was about to be going down and Boo wasted no time. He jumped up, put his hand up and just yeeted the planet to pieces. Within moments of regaining, like, his higher brain functions, 
which pretty much amount to beat ass nonstop. So, um, yeah, I definitely think Kid Boo, like in his first appearance, would be a great ultimate. He just like he's just that dude. Like when you think of like who the crap stomps the hardest as a villain, you just think of Kid Boo. Like he just bodies people. So um there's a couple things. I think, like I said, I think iconic moments are the way of the future. Uh I'm surprised we don't have a uh, spirit bomb. Like we could we could if it was in the same set, like we can go who the spirit bombs kid boo. Like that we we have so many moments that like you can just close your eyes and remember the exact episode and scene that they happened in. And I think that that's like part of the chase. It shouldn't just be a cool character because we got plenty of those. Get those nostalgia moments. Get those moments where we can remember just like being glued to the television to see how they ended. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I I agree. Like a lot. There's a lot of moments that they should definitely capture in Sigurus because like those will be the most collectible card. Like if we're looking from a collector standpoint, those will be the most collectible cards, right? Like those. If if you tie those moments to like the higher rarity cards in the game, then you just kind of bring in that breath of fresh air of collectors into the card game without having like. You know, especially if you god rare it, that means a regular one will not be as chaseable, and then it'll be like uh, a good middle ground between bringing in you know people into this game. Because like, let's be real here, let's be real, real. Uh, people who are out there collecting Dragon Ball shit probably don't give two f's about Mirror Absorbed Fin. I'm gonna be one hundred. It's facts. <laughs> they, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> they want their Super Saiyan Gokus. They want their Father Son Kamehameha's. Um, and I will say, for what it's worth, they've given us those cards before, right? Like we've had our original Super Saiyan Goku moment in a card before. I think it was a leader. Um, but the fact that those weren't secret rares is 100% true. But, like, you know, like first off, it used to be characters. We started off with Vegito, and, you know, we went from there. Um, but they started bringing it back into moments. Um, we saw the Frieza and Goku kind of being like their big showcase of like jumping into moment aspects of the of uh, of the show. So yeah, that didn't surprise me. I called that like weeks before it happened. I need to be surprised. I want something <laughs> to blow me away. Um, so I, I totally agree that moments would do really well um, in terms of things as secret rares, um, especially when you see the really hype people get around of like those monumental SPRs, like the SPR final explosion uh, Vegeta, like did extremely well when that first showcase. And as an example of like moments that can do extremely well. Yeah. And there's like, there's going to be some like really cool things. And it's like, I think also it's going to sound weird, but so far we've been getting, we've been getting uh, battle cards and we've gotten like a couple of uh, extra cards, but I think we can really actually start seeing some extra cards and see how it works. Like, like, could you imagine just a like a huge cool picture? There's like flames on one side that are orange for Jiren and flames on the other side that are white for Ultra Instinct. And it's Goku and Jiren squaring off the the arenas exploding like it was in the last battle. And that crap can just literally be called like like showdown of the strongest for the universe or something like that. And just have it like be a generic effect that allows you to fish like a boss card from the deck. Just something weird. Like they could get so much more creative. And not just have it tied to a a battle card. Because nine times out of ten, when it's a battle card, you end up being forced to play in certain archetypes. Now, granted, the black ones have been doing very, very good things when they are generic, you know what I mean? But, like, 
when it's a battle card, like you're only using this Vegeta in certain decks. You're only using Hatch and I mean, I guess every blue deck. But I just feel like there's so many ways they can start branching out. Now, granted, I never want to see another SCR Unison again. Don't do it. Uh, Unison that you can only play one of in the deck just hurts my PP. <laughs> because it's it's so weird. They always have these like crazy effects that you have to like work with. I think in power on an SCR Unison is like actually... I take it back. If the SCR Unison has in power... I'm kind of here for it because that actually makes sense. Yeah. But the before that, this is awful. Like, I got to tap how much for a unison and I can't put a unison under it. Like, it'd be one thing if I could pay four and then put a unison under it and then minus four. But, like, these guys were just like, oh, you got to tap five for it and then you don't plus it and it's got to not take any damage and then you can minus four next turn. I'm like, yeah. Hey yo, what? what? <laughs> hey, yo. hey yo, and so um, there are just some kind of weird things that are going on there. I think, but yeah, I mean, there's the the one thing that's cool about this game, a cool takeaway is that it's still fairly new. We are in year four of the game, and if there is one thing Bandai is good at. Whether we feel like we're being listened to, whether we feel like we're being shafted, whether we feel like you shouldn't feel shafted because we are always being listened to. Um, uh, it's just Bandai constantly tries to revolutionize the way they play the game, the way they do rarities, the way they do this. They're always coming up with new stuff. They're they're listening to what we like, and they're trying to do things that are different. And if you notice, all the things that they change aren't generally things that we like. They're trying to change things that we were like, eh, take it or leave it, or eh, we didn't like. And so one way or another, we're going to get to a point where this game is more and more the game you want it to be in terms of collecting, in terms of pulling, in terms of play, because they're always trying to figure out what we like best. We just complain about it. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. True. Um, on my end, uh, I will actually go to the character just because I'm shocked. Uh, I, you know, anyone who listens to me or has listened to me knows that this isn't a surprise on that point. Uh, Jiren. I am shocked yes. that we do not have a Jiren SCR yet. They I keep, am with you. They keep giving him really weird, but also insanely powerful SRs. And types <laughs> 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 weirdly weird but powerful SRs that can always be foiled by a single tap on the gate. Yes. <laughs> but like and like they always have these really wonky requirements that require like half your deck to be in one zone or another. <laughs> um but nevertheless, like how have we not had a Jiren secret, right? Like I feel like if Dragon Ball Super was a card game built to capitalize on Dragon Ball coming back to the you know general populace's state you know mind how are you not banking on jiren i, th I think that's so free i think it's like like just look at the spr of goku and jiren. i mean don't get me wrong the fact that the art is like 10 out of 10 for the spr is nuts and, and also helps that the sr is kind of booty just like a downward kick in goku but nevertheless looks incredible so i think i think jiren would be my pick in terms of ser not not I don't and like mind you like this just goes to show how much I care about the community and like as a whole because like I'll tell you right now I don't I don't care for Jiren all that much I think he's a horrendous character. Hey yo, but all right, we'll say that after the questions. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, I think his place a hundred percent deserves stature as an SCR. So that'll be my answer to that question. <laughs> I mean, look, I'll just address this right now. The man is dead ass peak. They killed my village, so I became strong. Like, 
Talk right. about fucking raisin brand bread for breakfast. Okay. Alright, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go, sir. From the maker. Of let me show you how Gohan has gone through the most traumatic events <laughs> and become a decent person. I'm going to bring you the next chapter. Simplicity does not equal bad. Jiren was a normal, bald-headed alien boy, as normal as being bald at the age of five can be. And he lost his family to some dark being. Yeah, that's really sketch. It's really shady, really nondescript. But then he found a new family, and they taught him how to throw hands. And he thought, this is great. I'm healing. And then for some reason, the same dude accosted this same bald child and killed everybody, or just about everybody, including his master. All Jiren wanted to do was fight back and try to get revenge and try to avenge people. And everybody was like, bro, I'm not trying to catch that smoke. Did you see that, man? He smoked Master Jiren. I'm not about that. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. And they all dipped. At this point, Jiren realized two things. He could not depend on other people and that he was not strong enough to solely depend on himself. So he dedicated his entire life to never losing again to being strong enough to be able to put everything on his back for one simple reason, because the dude was hurt and he never wanted to be hurt again. He said, I will never lose because I will never lose anything again. And he doesn't trust anybody else to bear that burden because of his past trauma. And so like, even though he's super simple, I think it's actually kind of a really natural emotional response. He closed off everything because he felt like he'd been betrayed. And he's trying to become strong enough to protect anything that he finds important to him, which is why he hates Goku, because he's like, what do you mean friendship? Like, these people let you down. The only thing you can trust is your own strength. What the hell is this? And it peeves him off that Goku has been able to get this strong and still have people that he can share with, because Jiren has never had that. So I feel like it's simple, and it went by really fast. But I really do think it's like a solid reason for Jiren to be the way he is. He's not a bad dude. He cares about justice. He does save people. It's just that his path has led him on a very solitary one. But he has become so strong just because he's like, yeah, no, that's okay. Nobody's taking anything from me again. That's that's uh pass. Pass on that one. But, and I think that's crazy. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I think that kind of lends itself to the final strife uh, or like the finale of Dragon Ball, which was kind of like the point they were trying to write home that like, yeah, you can actually still rely on those around you to be strong. but. Like, why was he that strong just from saying, like, shit, I ain't taking an L ever again, dog? Like, he is... Yeah, that was like, wild. That was wild. <laughs> like, 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 dead ass. This man scares the shit out of his um, god of destruction. <laughs> Respectfully. <laughs> and, like, whereas Goku ain't even on his level at the start of T.O.P., and yet this man fought a god of destruction... As like, and like, don't get me wrong. We obviously didn't get like Jiren's entire backstory. So like, sure, they can probably world build him in the future. And like, maybe he had his own Frieza's and cells and whatever the heck to make him strong. But this man, Deadass, just stepped on the podium, was like, I'm here. Everyone, Deadass slept for like half, <laughs> half, half the tournament. And then like, just started bonking people until like... Deus Ex Machina came in. So, like, until, it's just... Until ass pulled me out. <laughs> so, I just... I think his simplicity wouldn't bug me as much if his showcase in the Tournament of Power wasn't so... 
he'll just come in when we need to change up the story a little bit. Like that was just yeah. like like here's the thing. If Jaren didn't sleep for like 20 minutes of the half hour this tournament supposedly went on, like he could have like balled out hard the first five minutes and the entire thing would be over. And to add on to your point, they also wrote him really weird because like they gave him like he came into the arena and he was dodging like like I don't know, catching, catching like tiles without looking at him. They the way they animated him and displayed him like not looking but still being so aware, they made it seem like he had ultra instinct. And Goku got the white blue flames, Jiren had the orange red flames, and it still looked like he had ultra instinct. And then they just kind of were like, No, Jiren's just Jiren. And that makes me feel like, wait, this man is this strong <laughs> without having God Key nor Hakai nor Ultra Instinct. Like, what happens if this dude's like, you know what, Margarita? Why don't you show me a little something? Yeah. Like, is he just gonna body the entire yeah. verse? Like, <laughs> like this dude, this dude was keeping up with Master UI for a great bit of their fight and then petered out, but still had gas in the tank, had to get jumped to get ringed out. But he doesn't have any of these divine techniques. And it's just, like, so weird because, like, the way they were writing him, they weren't even trying to explain. They were just like, are Jiren's this strong? Goku is in Kaioken blue times 20, and Jiren is not getting scratched at all. Jiren is punching people, and the air pressure is just fading him out of the arena. Jiren was stopped by 2,000 years of accumulated time and just said, you know what? <laughs> I don't it's think not so. for me. Like, <laughs> like, but they, were like, they were like, his power transcends time itself. I literally blinked and paused and was like, wait a second. Like, this, <laughs> this is a little odd, even for me. I mean, this is a dude who at one point, Belmod, his god of destruction, came down and was just like, Jiren, your legend precedes you. I would like you to be my next in line. And Jiren was like, pick again. And he was like, uh, no, perhaps you didn't hear me. I said pick again. Oh, wow. Um, you, you there with the mustache. Like, Belmod <laughs> explained Jiren's backstory for a solid, what was it, four and a half minutes? And Jiren told him to shut up. He was like, that's enough out of you, Belmod. I was like, Hey, yo, Goku would never speak to Beerus <laughs> like that. <laughs> like, like, in front of all the other gods and angels, too? Come on, bro. He said, shut up. That's enough out of you. And Belmont did it. He literally was like, yeah, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I apologize for my outburst. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's, it's just more so everything around Jiren, I guess, that really sets me off in terms of him as a character. Yeah, they could have they explained it a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next question. This is from Getem. If y'all didn't have Dragon Ball, what would you do to fill the void? Shoot. Is he not talking about the games? Is he talking about the IP? I mean, I think we can accept both. If, I, I, think, I think both are like legitimate things to view. So um, I guess we can start wow. with the card game first and then the IP. If not for the card game, I would I would be playing some other card game. Um, I think anybody who has TCG like addiction understands that there will always be a TCG. It's just a matter of which one you play. Maybe I'd be playing My Hero right now. Maybe I'd be playing Magic the Gathering right now, but I would still be on a TCG. Now, if it was Dragon Ball... I don't know if y'all noticed, but look at my backdrop in my videos. I have two cases of like mad Dragon Ball figures and the collection just grows when I find one I like. Um, I've got Shinron tattooed to my right arm. I 
I have a channel about Dragon Ball Super, the card game, and I'm building another channel about Dragon Ball Super gaming. I have Dragon Ball clothes. I have Patara earrings. If I can't even imagine a world where Dragon Ball didn't exist because that is like part of my identity. <laughs> like I'm like a darn near walking encyclopedia of the lore. Like I um I can't give you an answer to that question, Get him. I don't know. I'd be a different person. I would dead ass be a different person. Yeah. Um so <laughs> I agree. Uh, almost on both aspects. Uh, as far as the card game goes, I, I I came from a different card game. I would just play a different card game. I played Magic before finding Dragon Ball. And when it came to choosing the Dragon Ball card game, it was between that and Final Fantasy when I moved to a new city because I didn't feel like establishing a new Magic playgroup. So I was like, okay, well, between these two, which one would be easier to get my friend, my brothers and my friends to play? And I was like, well, Dragon Ball easy because like they don't give two dicks about Final Fantasy, but I can get them to play Dragon Ball if it's a Dragon Ball card game. And they did. So like, and then it led me down this path, which is awesome. But if not, I probably would have kept creating content for Magic Arena. Because um, that released by the time I moved back uh, to my hometown. So I, w- I would have just been doing something different. Still around card games, because I love card games. But, like, something different. Uh, as far as the Dragon Ball IP... That, that one is, like... I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Because I think the Dragon Ball IP, growing up as a kid watching it every single week, um, playing every single Budokai Tenkaichi game that came out, um, idolizing, you know, Teen Gohan and like, and just like what things like Key and Kai Blast and what it did to Shonen as a genre altogether as a grandfather of all Shonen um, and establishing arguably the biggest anime genre out there, which like in its own right has like given us phenomenal stories. Um, I... I would not be the same person I am today if it wasn't for Dragon Ball, just because everything that it and everything it has created by inspiring others has effectively very strongly shaped who I've become. Um, I don't think I like I have a deep, deep hero complex. I don't think that would be a part of who I was. Not there's an argument to be made that having a hero complex isn't a good thing, <laughs> but <laughs> but I I feel a strong sense of justice and of being there for the innocent and like that there's so much about me that I think just would not be there if it weren't for Dragon Ball. So I I agree with Chris. I don't think I could answer what I would do to fill the void because I just wouldn't be me. I would just be something else because Dragon Ball has done so much for me directly and indirectly by how it's shaped the world around me. So. Yeah. Yep. No, it's it's huge, man. I easily easily up there with probably the biggest thing to ever shape me as a person. So. Yeah, actually, you know what? You know what would happen if there was no Dragon Ball? We would be asleep in our beds, and then there would be a weird cross universal contact of just brain synapses, and we would realize there was a universe where Dragon Ball did exist, and we would feel the feeling of having such an IP in existence, and then George and I would dedicate our lives to being able to transverse the real-life multiverse in order to find (laughs) the dimension where we were happiest because of Dragon Ball. And it would become our own anime series, and we would have to fight multiversal versions of ourselves and loved ones, and we'd have to figure out how it all goes before we have to fix the multiverse from collapsing on itself because we poked holes in it just to find Dragon Ball. Of course. <laughs> See it on Crunchyroll next year. Yep, yep, yep. That's uh, it's copywritten, boys. You're going to have to pay us for the licensing on that one. Hell yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> Toei crushes us. Toei just <laughs> destroys our <laughs> So he's like, that's a good idea, but uh alrighty there. Zen- <laughs> I <love> Zenosnap. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> why why are all my videos copyrighted? <laughs> oh good. And then our last question of the cast comes from Carlo, who asks, what are your thoughts on the situation about Russia and Ukraine? Well, we're not a political podcast here, um, but I think if we're going to make a quick announcement on it, um, obviously, there's a lot going on in Ukraine, which is very saddening. Um, I hope anyone around the world who's currently impacted by the situation is safe, and um, I hope that diplomacy will win out sooner than later and that uh, we can minimize the amount of casualties as much as possible. Um, So hopefully uh, Putin decides that this isn't worth it and opts out because I think peace should prevail personally. But that's just my my quick take on it. But I've been been watching the news for hours every single day keeping up on it. I think it's I think it's pretty sad despite what any country what what history any two countries may have it's just nobody wants to wake up and find out that you were the host of an invasion <laughs> and that's like it's just it's just not the move there are plenty of people that are just trying to go through their day-to-day life who are now wrapped up in events that are incredibly scary incredibly stressful and frankly, most of the world is just sitting here watching it right now. We're not living through it. And so we can't ever really understand the scope of how it really feels. But um, my main my main feeling is scared because there's innocent people that are going through a lot of things they don't want to. There are probably people even doing the invading that are following orders that just like it, it's just it's messed up on all sides. And even if Putin backs down now, I don't even know how that's going to get resolved. Like, you can't just be like, yo, my bad. I play too much. And then just sit back down. Like, and if there are repercussions, I don't know how repercussions are going to be dealt with by the people receiving them. And that is, it's scary. It's, it's a whole lot of stuff. It's weird because it feels distant because I'm in America, but it feels very, very close because I don't know how this gets resolved without ripples. Yeah. Uh... Oh. A hundred percent. I feel a deep, deep sadness on the daily about this right now. And um like you're a hundred percent right. I, I um I think there's a lot of casualties in terms of not even just Ukrainians, but like you said, Russians just following orders, not wanting to. Um and and I guess one takeaway is that this this these are the exploits of a man and the men around him. Um you know, I think I think relations with Russia, however this blows, are going to be very strained. But I think it's important to recognize that this isn't all Russians also. Um, now, that's not to say that obviously we shouldn't do as much as we can to be able to support Ukraine and try to end this as soon as possible. But um, there are a lot of people in Russia right now trying to voice out and make their voices heard that this is not OK. So. Um, the, the let's not take away from the fact that this is the exploit of a singular man and the people around him, and that, um, you know, hopefully he is dealt with justly once the situation hopefully gets under control. So. De-escalates, hopefully, hopefully. Yep. 
Next time, keep your question for the most part Dragon Ball related. <laughs> yeah, we're just, I, I mean, for what it's worth, I actually considered opening with saying, like, hey, like our heart go out to all those people. Um, at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're going to keep producing this content because we got we to gotta do our thing. And I, I think for anyone, it's a good distraction to serve um, outside of the realities of the world whenever we can. And that's what we content creators are best at doing. So I think anytime we can provide that, all the better. Um, so I, I, I don't, you know, don't go around asking us every single week how we feel about it. Um, but, you know, as far as like our one and only statement on the subject specific to this podcast, um, uh, I, I think giving our quick grievances on that front is, uh, is welcome. So thanks for the question. Uh, but that's it for the cast. Uh, do you, what do you got going on this week, Chris, that our viewers may be interested in finding out? Well, um, now that we've actually started getting into <clears throat> competitive stuff again, um, you see I've released a video two days in a row compared to the 12 days I had not released a video. So uh, we are getting back into the groove of Dragon Ball Super content because there's actually stuff I feel like is worth reporting. Um, past that, we got uh, the 7th anniversary still cooking off on a Dragon Ball Dokken battle, and I just pulled the biggest, beautifulest, baldest boy as uh, you know, full power Jiren on Legends, so I'll probably get some PvP in with him on my Unix DB channel. And uh, you know, My Hero Academia Ultra Impact is still going strong on Unix Gotcha. So today we uploaded literally a video per channel. If you like me on any real sort of content, there is not any shortage for you right now. Check out one of these channels. I will be doing something you may like. And uh, when it comes to this channel, it still is kind of like for Unix DBS, it's still like kind of it comes up as it comes up because really I'm just kind of reporting news and then going in depth as that news comes out. It's a really delicate position to make content because I really want to dive into some deck lists. I really want to dive into some concepts, but I also don't want to touch too much on the things I'm going to be bringing to the tournaments because. Um, it has gotten to that point where I realized that nationals, I was recognized by like all but one of my matches. And I don't want to sit down at the table and a dude to know exactly what my game plan is. <laughs> so like I am, uh, I'm trying to keep a little bit of what I'm doing a little quiet. So if you're wondering why I'm not sitting here breaking down exactly what certain cards can do for existing archetypes or where, what direction I'm taking, it's because I'm seriously taking this format, seriously, I want to come at it with the best I have, and that does not include having my opponent know my text before I even get down to the table. <clears throat> fair, fair, very, very nice. And of course, guys, if you guys want links to any of his channels, they'll be down in the description if you're watching on YouTube. Otherwise, just go on. I mean, if you're listening to your podcast, just go on YouTube, look up UniX, and then whichever one between DBS, DB, or Gotcha, and you, you'll pop up. You guys know yep. where your boy is. My links are all on my channel banner too. So when you find one channel, you find all of them. There you go. Um, as far as my front on my front goes, uh, there is a rogue, like a video talking about rogue decks to expect in the next format that I still have yet to release. Um, so I got to finish. So I got to actually record that, but this shouldn't be too bad. Um, I do think I'm going to make a quick recap video on talking about the new set stuff just because it's exciting. And who knows, maybe I'll, I'll be, uh, you know, maybe I'll be Joey to the punch on it. So. <laughs> And if, you're listening, Yo, let's go. <laughs> and if you're listening to this joey hey what's up um so we'll see what's if up, i can <laughs> we'll see if i can drop that video uh early enough just to pick up on that early hype from the new info that we got otherwise uh nothing too crazy i'm swamped with work so it's a little bit hard to push out content with how busy that is but nevertheless uh streams if uh, my meetings don't go late tuesdays and thursdays stills so that's uh that'll be things to look forward to um Next week, actually, 
uh, content will be a little dry. We may actually end up missing a week of the podcast because I am out of the country for a week. So, um, which is fine. It, odds are it'll be a quiet week while people are grinding, getting ready. Chris will be practicing day in day out for uh, for fest and regionals and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> I don't think that'll be too bad. So that's uh let's, let's, let's get get him on <laughs> get, get <him. laughs> like spicy take <laughs> that's not a terrible idea maybe get a guest <laughs> <sighs> but so that's what i've got going on on my end of course guys if you want to watch or look up any of the things that me and chris are up to all the links are down in the description on the youtube video so definitely check that out if you guys want to watch more stuff from us but with that said, that was our podcasting, guys. So much for listening. And until the next cast, best of luck with your top deck, guys. Yo, gotta go. You guys have a great day. <laughs>